Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, March the 4th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say. Oh, my God, I'm back. Mr. Bob Ryer. Welcome back there, Chief. And Miss Stephanie Cook. I ate so much pizza. (laughs) If you guys are wondering why everybody sounds like Stephanie usually sounds, it's because um, the last gasps of winter have once again interrupted a normal Talking Comics podcast recording. Uh, some snow, some sleet, some freezing rain, travel advisories, warning people to stay off the road. Uh, so we're all podcasting from our humble abodes mm-hmm. to bring you this show. It's just normal for Stephanie, but for everybody else, it's something a little bit different. Pantsless. <laughs> I, I have pants on, but I, I am drinking um, some bourbon. Nice. To loosen it up a little bit. Margarita, still in my pajamas. It? It's wonderful. <laughs> I wore a little truth about me today. My my boss is out of town on a business trip, <gasps> so I went to work in sweatpants. This, this is a thing. Done. This is a thing that happened, <laughs> and I don't regret it for a second. As you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty fantastic. I was really comfortable all day. Wow. I bet you did better work too. You know, that's debatable, Bob. <laughs> you should invest in meggings, which are man leggings. What? Explain Apparently that's this. a thing. No. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe only in Portland or something. Meggings. People it, in Portland, verify. Go. Um, <laughs> I feel like that would be a little bit too exposing of your package. <laughs> Maybe. Like it's a little clingy in that area. You have to wear um, a long shirt. Dude, if I could yes. wear a Spider-Man bodysuit, you can rock the meggings. Yeah, yeah, you wear like a, a party though. I'm not gonna wear the meggings out like you know on a, bus- in a, in a business meeting. Hey guys, what's going on? How many business meetings do you have a day, Bobby? Not a lot of business meeting today, but no. <laughs> I do. I do. You can go business co- cash when you need to. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have co-workers most of the time, so that would be something that would probably prevent me wanting to have the package on display. Um... <laughs> But anyway, I feel already feel uncomfortable what we're talking about. So <laughs> this is what happens when we're all in the same room together. We'll have to do a meetup at the next convention this way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Kilts and meggings and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm for absolutely. it. Oh my. Absolutely. Oh my. <laughs> oh man. So uh, Stephanie, how's everything going? It's good. It is very, very good. I have been trying to write the past couple of days. It is very hard. I write and then I go on Twitter <laughs> or Tumblr in this case. If On days when there's a lot of Stephanie Tumblr posts, you know that I'm trying to do something like productive um, mm-hmm. elsewhere. 
that that's what that means. So today was a lot of things. On- like right something creative or yeah like, yeah like cool. i'm working on one of my projects and i'm trying to write an intro for it and apparently it is supposed to be like 10 pages long and i'd sent um my intro originally and uh this sounds so like snooty but uh my potential like lit agent was like oh it needs to be like nine more pages and i'm like what <laughs> like i don't have nine more pages in me for this particular thing how many Words can I use to say this particular bit of information? <laughs> so um, I'm basically just staring at my computer screen and willing the words uh, to come. And it's it's not great, so I go on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the enemy of production is social media. I, I like to call it creative procrastination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being not productive that's well i mean it's being i'm on my computer and that's technically where i work so i'm still technically at work and i did enjoy the vince vaughn stock photos that you put up thank you that link that was a fun link see this is what happens (laughs) when i spend a lot of time surfing the internet you did put up some some links that I enjoyed looking at today, just did, to let you know. Did you see the one with, like, the family feud where he's like, <laughs> name something that comes out of a body cavity, and the woman's like, gerbil. <laughs> I did not see that one, no. <laughs> I I keep just going back to it and laughing. Like, it's, like, eternally funny to me. <laughs> Why would you say gerbil? Why would a gerbil come out of your body? Because you have a weird sexual fetish with she it. She parties pretty hard. That's what I've yeah. heard. <laughs> I don't understand. Her a lot of interesting friends. Richard Gere. Apparently. That's a joke from like 20 years yes. ago. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. still good. It's yeah. still good. It's still a good joke. Um, Polish it off, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Steve, what, uh, what have you been up to, my friend? Uh, I've just been recuperating, man. I've been uh, having a couple of weeks over here. Um, I got very ill, as uh, our listeners know. That's why I wasn't on the show. Uh, and came back to a house with uh, burst pipes. And let's just say things are still not up to code. Um, I have no wall in my shower, which is awesome. It's now just, I just shower inside of garbage bags. It's great. Uh, I have two leaks now. It was one yesterday. Now I have two in my living room roof. And my kitchen sink um, kind of spurts water rather than lets it flow because there is still ice inside of the piping. So if I wash anything at all, it takes about 20 minutes for the sink to drain. Other than that, (laughs) I'm great. Um, that sounds not fun. No, but in all seriousness, um, I took a lot of the a lot of the time that I had that I that I was not feeling well. And was luckily able to still be productive in my hobbies and uh, played a couple games that uh, we talked about on the other show. And then uh, I read a metric fuck ton of comic books, um, particularly in the last four days, um, including uh, but not limited to almost the entirety of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers run um, straight. And, and I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to hear a little bit of that. A little bit of it. I think I'm going to save all of my thoughts. It's going to be ending soon. I think there's like two issues each. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe like Bob and I will kind of round it up at the end. But um, yeah, I was really, um, for a little teaser, I was really disturbed by it. 
Um, so we'll uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But I mean, I'm good. I'm I'm back on the horse. I'm feeling good. Um, starting to churn some stuff out on the computer, write up some stuff, getting ready to to debut a few things, and uh, just looking forward to getting back to the podcast and back to my routine. Yeah, one day we'll all be back in our normal routines. <laughs> well, this I mean, this winter has been ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. is out of our control. Yeah, it's like aggressively winter, like. Calm down. We get it. Your winter. Yeah. Let's just move on. Yeah. I'm. T- I'm, I'm officially. I was tired of it a while. I was tired of it when I got home from the plane, and then the first thing I heard was like, "Your house exploded. There's water everywhere." <laughs> it's like, "Yay, winter." Yep. I love you. Lots of winter. Kisses. Bob, how the hell are you? Uh, cold, cranky, <laughs> too much shoveling for someone my age with rafts of physical problems, and now I can hear the. Freezing rain pelting against the window. <laughs> so there'll be a skating rink in my driveway come tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Like These fun! Very... <laughs> Just yep. great. I've got a cheerful uh, bunch this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was out the other morning literally shoveling the azaleas my mother uh, planted 40-odd years ago to stop them from being killed by all this ice and snow. My neighbors <laughs> were looking at me like, what is this maniac doing? With a shovel and a giant broom sweeping the snow off of plants. You should just spray some like fake blood on them. And then Bob, Bob, I get it. I had when growing up, I lived in a house for nine and a half years in Miller Place, and I had a peach tree that I propped up and grew myself, and every winter I would go outside and make sure that that thing lived. So I get it. I feel not so crazy now. Flower solidarity, man. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, Steve agreed with you. So you're not crazy at all. Yes, <laughs> that's that's. And the I person. know a lot about gardening. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now, I, I do want to bring something up. Spe- speaking of crazy, I, Stephanie, I I hope you had nothing to do with this. They found this giant tunnel in Toronto. Was that you <laughs> trying to get to the restaurant across the street without getting dressed? Yeah, totally, okay. totally. Um, my my favorite, my friend uh, posted on his Facebook wall. You know. Rob Ford, like, you know, from the police. Rob Ford, why did you smoke crack? And he's like, personal reasons. They're like, very good, carry on. <laughs> and then they're like, suspects, why did you build an underground tunner- tunnel just before a major international event? Personal reasons. Very this- good, carry on. <laughs> like, <laughs> too, you guys are too polite. Yes. Oh, cool, cool, cool. You guys just wanted to have some fun. Roll around <laughs> the dirt. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Yep. That's Canada. <laughs> yep. At least it wasn't you. I feel much better now. Yeah, it wasn't. I have a separate tunnel going on. <laughs> yeah. The the food tunnel. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. To all the different places. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's put the the toils and troubles of winter behind us and talk about some comic books. I made notes. Use I know Ooh, I posted I, them. Yeah, I did. I I, don't I, know how I posted, you got that image. I, you know, I'm just very good. I have a lot of sources. Me and me and Rich Johnston, you know, we share. Um, that's like summoning Beetlejuice. Don't say it. Don't, I only said it once. Yeah. I was so surprised today that when I wrote that to you, that somebody didn't pop up around it. It's when probably because he hasn't been online since. I invoked Just the watch. name. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he's gonna suddenly he's gonna appear on our Skype and be like, "Hello, <laughs> did someone say bleeding cool?" <laughs> you have to say it with an English accent, Stephanie. Oh, sorry. No, I'm no. saying you, right now you have to say with English accent. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> English accents are not Stephanie's thing. Uh, but I, I know when that. Maria, Maria sent us in a letter to Misfits for our uh, anniversary. 
And she was like, read this in an English accent. And if in like consistent English accent can't be achieved, have Stephanie read it in old lady voice. I like those <laughs> options. Like, okay. Those are good to me. You're not getting that option here. Oh. Um, well, let's like move on kids. to our lightning round. Steve, you're back. Yeah, yeah I'm You're back. going back into the hot seat. Yep. Lightning round, you have three minutes right. and go. All right, so check this out. Um, uh, Spider-Woman from uh, Dennis Hopeless and Greg Land got off to kind of a rocky start. Uh, it was part of the Spider-Verse event going on. Um, just not exactly the best way to start your book. However, uh, I'm happy to say, in my personal opinion, the latter half, the second half of issue number four was spectacular. Uh, quite literally, as soon as Jessica's events in the Spider-Verse event are done, they move to three days later and the book changes entirely. It's got humor in it. It's got like just her and Carol running around being friends and being snarky towards one another and carries with it a lot of what I was hoping for that book when it launched. Hopefully, with uh, Spider-Woman number five coming out today, uh, bringing along a new artist, it will inject some um, new life into the series and maybe turn some heads. Um, but my recommendation is is get issue number four and just go from there. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Isn't so, that supposed to be the jumping on point? Yeah, it's supposed to be a good jumping on point. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, um, so, and then my uh, my other stuff, I'll talk about it ever so briefly, is Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers. Um, I read like... 18 to 41 of Avengers and 16 to 30 of new Avengers. And I, I got to tell you, like uh, everybody that listens to this podcast, they know, or if you're new to it, I absolutely love Jonathan Hickman. He's written one of my favorite things ever, which is his run on fantastic four um, really changed the way that I look at comics. I love what he does. Uh, however, I did not love what he's done or what he's been doing with Avengers and new Avengers. Bob has been talking about it a lot. Um, but I'm really kind of disturbed at the what he's done with a lot of like Marvel's flagship characters in regard to Cap- um, Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and just all these major, major heroes killing worlds over and over and over again. Um, the book is very disturbing. Or I, when I say book, I mean the story. It's very disturbing and oftentimes depressing. Um, it's actually making me... Um, like I want the Secret Wars thing to come along so that we can kind of reset this and get the heroes back to where I feel they should be and not be bogged down with all of this sadness and guilt and all this stuff that's been going on in this book. It's a huge, huge story, but it's left me um, just a little a little upset at, at, at how he's handled these characters. And there's a lot of characters that are worth writing about in this story that are not there like actively participating. And that also kind of bothered me. Um, Really quick though, there are some points within the story, particularly the original Sin stuff and Avengers that I loved. I loved seeing uh, Cap time jump and and interact with a whole bunch of people from the future. Um, And it had its its shining moments, but for the most part, I was um, quite disappointed by it. And um, I'm really hoping that we can expect some, some better things when they, you know, induct the new Avengers. All right. There you go. So, good timing on that one. And yes, Seven, like you were saying, the Spider-Woman number five, which comes out mm-hmm. today, uh, today, I believe, um, is supposed to be a jumping on point for yeah. people. Um, supposed to be kind of an, um, almost a new number one for, for the series. Right. Um, new new artist, Javier Rodriguez. Yeah. So, 
It was it was amazing. Like I like I've been mildly enjoying Spider Woman up until this point because I was reading I'm reading Spider Verse and so on, and it was like the book just completely changed. Like I turned the page and it's like three days later, the tone of it changed. It it was funny. It was it was everything that I wanted it to be from the beginning. So I'm really glad to see that it's moving in that direction and that Dennis Hubless is capable of writing that kind of Spider Woman book. So I'm I'm very excited for for the new artist to come along. I think he's definitely able to do it. You can see it even in some of the bits and pieces you've gotten to see where he wrote Jessica as the queen of that, the pirate queen kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but I know Stephanie said this at one point, if they had done the Spider-Woman Silk thing as a three-issue Spider-Verse miniseries and then started this one with this is the number one and one coming out today is number two, Mm-hmm. I have a much better feeling about it for everyone. This book is now restarting four issues in, basically, which is kind of screwy. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, if, if my recommendation is worth anything, it's I, I think for people that were hoping that it was going to be a book that you'd be picking up, now might be a really good time to check it out again and see if you like, you know, the fresh coat of paint on it. Because, like I said, in the latter part of that issue, it took on a whole new face, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Stephanie. Hi. Let's put those notes to work. I'm gonna. I'm own. gonna try. I. I'm aiming to um, get a number of books discussed in uh, this short period of time that I've been given, Bobby. That is uh, the whole kind of point of this <laughs> thing. So I'm glad that you're finally on board. Bob Stephanie. is my role model. Oh, it's a good you. good role model. The good role model. My wings. All right. <laughs> Did you ever know that you're my <laughs> hero? Okay, three minutes on the clock and go. Curb stomp number one, Ryan Ferrier, who did Tag on Lawyer, and Devaki Nyagi, Nyagi uh, doing a Warriors-esque book with the main gang being a group of ladies trying to protect their hood. It's a miniseries that will only have four issues. Story gets right to the point. Really enjoyed it. Interesting, diverse group of characters. Um... Definitely going to check out the next issue to see where it's going. Uh, Black Hood, number one, part one of five, The Bullet's Kiss. So this is a cool new series uh, from a new imprint of Archie Comics called Dark Circle. Um, So a police officer, um, he gets in the middle of a gunfight, winds up with, um, he winds up being shot in the face. Uh, So that's not good. He's not happy. He's in a lot of pain. uh, And... He winds up becoming a vigilante, surprisingly, known as the Black Hood. Uh, We don't really find that much out about that in the first issue. But the art was really cool. Uh, The story was really interesting, kind of was Brubaker-esque noir to me. Uh, Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Gonna check it out. Gotham Academy number five. This is the best issue of Gotham Academy yet. Uh, There's this one amazing panel of maps shouting, Olive, where are you? I'm lost in the walls, and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and I loved it so much. Like, I just sat there staring at this panel for five minutes and, like, chuckling to myself. Uh, it keeps getting better and better. And this issue really starts to answer some of the questions that have been built up previously. I believe uh, the first trade is issues one through six. Uh, so one more to go in this arc. Uh, and it's great. Effigy number two. Former child star returns back to her hometown of Effigy Mound. Comes a cop. She 
gets let in on a high-profile murder case because the circumstances tie her to the victim. Really interesting. Love the art by Marley Zarconi. And it's being written by Tim Seeley, who does Revival, which I also love. Um, Wolf Moon number three. Really interesting. I'm going to say interesting a lot. Uh, cool take on lycanthropy. Instead of several people existing in the world as werewolves and coming out in the full moon, there's only one. The disease goes seamlessly from person to person. They don't even know what's wrong until the full moon comes. And they become an unstoppable force of nature. <laughs> one man that's been affected by the wolf trying to put a stop to it by finding the wolf and killing him while he's in his true forms, true form. Um, but it gets complicated when another hunter turns up and this one isn't actually hunting, hunting the wolf. He's hunting those who have been turned into the wolf. Uh, so this is by Cullen Bunn and art by Jeremy Hahn. Really, really good story. Uh, very, very cool take on something that's been done before. Kind of like what American uh, vampire did for vampires. All right. Wow. Good timing. Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Black Hood was awesome. I really liked it. Cool. That's a character that goes back <laughs> a long way, by the way. Black Hood? But, yeah. Goes back into the 40s. Oh, Not wow. exactly when, but early 40s, and then came back again in the 50s and 60s. Here in, Actually, probably early 60s when uh, Archie brought back the shield and the mm. comet and everything else. And then they just uh, they, uh, there's a new shield book coming out, right, from them? From Archie. Yeah, it's all part of this imprint that Stephanie was talking about, this kind of bl- black mask. Stephanie, mm-hmm. is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they're doing like a oh, no, kind sorry, of... Dark Circle. Dark Circle. They're doing kind of like there's more... They're, those kind of hero characters um, again. Because mm-hmm. they, they had the book last year, the the Mark Way book, The Fox, I think it was yes. called, mm-hmm. which right. was somewhat a proto for this imprint that they're doing. But yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Did you read um, Black Hood, Bobby? No, I didn't actually. Oh, I, I think not. you'd like it. Cool. It's like it, it, it gets really deep into the into the character, like his psychosis and thoughts, and mm. like him having to continuously down the painkillers to to numb out uh, what his life has become, and just really gritty good stuff. I think you'd like. I think you'd enjoy it. Cool. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. Um, Bob, the master of the lightning round. Are you ready? Let's see. If we can do this time around. Go. All right. Go. All right. Uh, new Avengers number 30, and considering that this new Secret Wars is now bigger by leaps and bounds than the original, let's cram as many Beyonders into this before time runs out. I mean, we need a whole race of them, right? What the heck? Uh, Secret Origins 10, which, uh, much like the Multiversity Guidebook, this issue is less a primer than it is part of the regular series. you got a, a, also maybe even a glimpse forward at post-convergence DC. I'm trying not to be too spoilery here, but... Stuart and Fletcher are doing it with great art by Irene Coe and maybe a clue to the mystery of who is leaking all of Barbara's secrets through the book. So if you passed on this because oh, it's just Secret Origins, it's $5, you've got that story, a really neat Dan Jurgens Firestorm story, as well as a Poison Ivy by Stepan Shayek, for those people loving Death Vigil. Mm-hmm. Um, Invaders number 15 which is the final issue. It's a fond farewell by James Robinson to Cap the Torch and Namer. They gather at the site where the Avengers found Cap's body floating in the ice. Get some lovely flashbacks to the other 15, a recap of some of the other events, and just a really lovely end word by Mr. Robinson. You may see these characters again. Some of the storylines don't finish themselves off. We've had some interesting sidebars, so we'll see how that goes. 
And finishing off, as long as I'm in the James Robinson mode, it's fantastic for 643. And Mr. Robinson, Leonard Kirk, and not just light, of course, Inker, Carl Kessel, Carlos Jesus Arbatov. This issue is just packed with so many great moments, I can't even begin to list the things, or in some cases I don't want to because you're going to spoil some great story things. Suffice it to say that just as James Robinson spoke to me at the last uh, New York City Comic Con, that no one would leave his run on Fantastic Four with a bad taste in their mouth. That is absolutely the case here. Every character gets their moment. It's The band is coming back together. I got to tell you, over the last few months, as much reservations as I had early on, this is one of Marvel's best titles, to my way of thinking. Not to everybody else's, perhaps, but if you want old-fashioned heroism and family adventure, this is where it is. It's all come right back around to where it belongs. That's it for me. Bobby, you have 40 seconds. Hey, well, someone could jump in. Maybe someone read Secret Origins? You just embarrass us every single time out. <laughs> I, I, um, I did read Secret Origins, actually, and this is kind of part of what I, I, I want to discuss a little bit about it. I want to get a little farther into not necessarily the, the ins and outs of Secret Origins, but um, the ideas behind what Secret Origins is ah. as, as, as a series. But um, I read it, and I was shocked by how, I guess, how layered it was um i expected a much more straightforward thing to happen in it you know i didn't i didn't i didn't have an exact expectation of what it was going to be but i didn't expect this you know almost morrison-esque type of <laughs> conceit about barbara and um her you know her disability and and what it all means uh so i thought that was that was great um and i don't it, what i love about it is i i'm not quite sure what it means um <laughs> and I want to see what that means going forward uh, for what we're going to see. And the, the, um, the Christy Marks, uh, Stepan Sedgwick story, uh, I thought was the poison Ivy story was cool. You know, I, I said this on comics and coffee, but like, I, I didn't realize really until kind of the last couple of weeks or couple of months that there is like a serious poison Ivy fan base out there. That is like pretty crazy what? about her being, in books and, and, and loving that character. I just didn't realize it existed. Um, and, and so I thought I was like, Oh, that's really nice. And then I w- was kind of reading on the internet and I was like, wow, a lot of people care a lot about what's happening here. It was a fun story. You're getting a lot of poison Ivy over in Harley Quinn. Just a, a reasonably large supporting character over that. And handled well, the character has a lot to offer. It's, it's been marginalized a lot. So let's move forward. Let's get some more cool Poison Ivy stuff. I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stephanie, did you read this? I did not. Okay. Steve, did you read it? I could not find it. Okay. So w- regardless of that, let's let's kind of – I want to talk more about this idea. And we've seen a lot, obviously, with DC, especially with the new 52 mm-hmm. happening um, because they've had to kind of reestablish their origins in a lot of ways after the new 52. And we're going to see probably some form, version of it from Marvel – going forward after Secret Wars. So, you know, Stephanie, how do you feel about, not necessarily completely reinventing Origins, but kind of rearranging Origins or rejiggering Origins for, uh, you know, more modern contexts or to fit more modern continuity? Um, I think that there's certain stories that can be uh, remade and should be remade, while there's other ones that... Um, 
work really well for the character and they can be maybe updated and modernized, but not necessarily completely changed over. I think in a way it's almost a bit disrespectful to the people who created that character to begin with. Um, some things obviously, uh, some characters were obviously created in a time when, um, you know, things weren't as great for uh, minorities and women and people of color, all kinds of things, and uh, maybe do deserve a new beginning again. But um, I think to some degree, even though these aren't creator-owned characters, there should be a respect uh, given to the people who uh, thought these people up uh, in the first place. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. Steve, what about you? In regard to, to changing origins and such? Yeah, and, and, you know, there's obviously the Jurassic thing of completely changing things, but, you know, these books, I feel like, more kind of update origins in some ways, you know, change certain details, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, like, let's say that all the, like, all these origins should be, when they're retold, should be exactly the way they were originally? Or is there room for updating? What do you think? No, I think there's certainly uh, room for updating. I mean, we're we're creating books and creating characters in, in a different time, right? Like, you've got a, you've got people that, that write comics have to constantly be thinking about the future of comics, the future of the company. If you keep the same stories from, like, 50-some-odd years ago and stuff like that, you start to kind of lose a bit of the identity that new readers might have with the characters. Um, but that said, I, I agree with Stephanie in that if you are going to reconfigure somebody's origin, that you do need to uh, pay homage or at least use some of like the base stuff from that origin, just so that you can kind of keep a little bit of what made it so popular and, and, and mean so much to so many people try to retain a little bit of that when telling your new story. I think there's enough room for, for both really. Um, yeah. like, I mean, if you look at the, I should probably, you know what? I'm going to shut up because <laughs> I'm going to say something that <laughs> I regret. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I, I, with everything that's happening right now with secret wars coming and Marvel redoing their thing and then starting off with the DC new 52, I've seen that it can work, um, and es- especially if the creators have a respect for that character and they have a passion for writing that character. I hardly see anybody taking everything that made those characters great and throwing it out the window. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think mm-hmm. people feel privileged to be writing you know, certain characters and like to keep a little bit of that old school uh, in, in their new stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bob, you've read Secret Origins, obviously, and you talked about it, and you seem to have enjoyed it. So what, what's your, you know, springing off from that, what's your opinion on these kind of re, rearranged origins? Well, I think what you can change a lot of, certainly, are the cosmetic or ancillary details. Obviously, the Fantastic Four took off in their rocket ship so they could beat the commies into space. <laughs> so things like that are changed. You wouldn't want... Uh, I don't know, the, the wizard's original origin where he was injected with mongoose blood. There were some <laughs> things that were done back then that were just kind of dopey. And they weren't thinking. They were thrown together in you know, the, the heat of the moment or we got to get a book out yesterday. Let's just come up with something. Who cares? Which was, you know, when Stan decided, well, let's just make everyone a mutant because they don't have to explain anything. No one has to have an origin because he'd run through radiation enough already. The thing with Batgirl is now she's had... 
four different origins at one point. The original one from back in Detective 359, she was a librarian and a college student and still the daughter of James Gordon. The Batgirl year one origin kind of hits some of those same points. Actually, maybe it's even five origins because she's sort of, that's molded into some of the other stories moving into the old 52. Here, this one takes some of the bits from the Batgirl Zero that came out about one year into the new 52. Her trapped in uh, police headquarters, finds a uh, leftover Batman suit and does some really cool stuff. But what all of those origins had together is the basis of a young woman who wanted to do the right thing for the right reasons. And that's where you really have to keep things going. You need that core that everyone's talked about so far that is what informs the characters, gives them agency. Superman's the last survivor of Krypton. I mean, they've added horses and dogs and super monkeys and all the various cousins and bottle cities or whatever. But that loneliness and that aloneness makes that work. Batman's who he is because his parents are dead. Steve Rogers, Uncle Ben, the whole mess of it. You can find a way to change the curtains but leave the windows there you know, into the character's souls, you've got something. And I think that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've seen it in, in some senses um, in the way some of the movie stuff has done it, right? Yes. Where you see an Iron Man, right? That that sort of update they've done there. And, you know, the Captain America movie is still Captain America. There, there are details shifted mm-hmm. around, obviously, but so there. And, and not that I think the comics emulate the movies, but I think that in ways there are places the comics can go that way when they do these type of origins. Because... Obviously, when DC comes out and says everything happened in five years, you can't have all the stuff that happened in the previous universe because it just wouldn't make any sense. It, I mean, it, it would make less sense. You can't have all these Robins without Child Protective Services showing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's five Robins in less than five years, it doesn't really make any sense. So, um, you know, that's a fast big change. But I think that uh, absolutely, you guys said, keeping it respectful, keeping it in the spirit of the character the ancillary details, even though we'll, we all will often get hung up on them at times, are not as important as those things. And in the end, those little changes are things that you will, you know, they might stick out to you at first, and they might end up being things you end up loving as, mm-hmm. as you go along. You know that I think that's happened to all of us. Of course, sometimes they they they, they come up and you don't like them ever, yeah. but. Uh, they can they can go both ways. So yeah, I think the Secret Origins is, is in, you know I haven't read it since issue one because the first issue was like Batman and Superman and I don't there is no secret yeah. Yeah. to that origin. There it's like like Secret Wars, not so secret uh, <laughs> origins. But this was interesting. This I felt like this this is why a series like this should exist is is stories like this. Well, um, here's here's the flip side of this. I uh, how many people will remember or maybe they burn it from their memories. When Dynamite did their Miss Fury mm-hmm. restart after coming off you know, Chris Roberson's wonderful Mask series, which she was handled so well, they redid her origin. This socialite who who puts on uh, a costume and then ends up accidentally fighting crime but decides it's a good thing to do when she can do right by the world has now turned into this money-grubbing, violent harpy who is basically tying uh, lecherous men to trees so they get eaten by hyenas. Hmm. I, wow. You know, that was not in the old books, and th- <laughs> it's just such a slap in the face to the original creator, Torpe Mills, or the character itself, that those are sort of things that, that I, I use this phrase a lot. You know, someone thinks they're more clever than the person who created it. Hmm. And maybe you are, 
you know, understand where the character comes from. Yeah. Look, I think that when someone is actually more clever than the person who created it, you can tell because the changes they make, while they might bristle you, are changes you eventually come to like. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there are definitely times where people will change things and you'll get angry about it. But if, if they're good enough, a good enough writer, a good enough creator, they can make it work in a way that, that ends up being something that you accept. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the major difference, right? I think most people aren't more clever. Um, and, and the few that are those changes, we forget that they even happened, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, not that, I mean, but we talked about this a little bit too, but like, look at Brubaker with the Winter Soldier stuff, you know? He brought back a character that was dead for a very long time. Um, and it bristled a lot of people when, when it happened. Uh, but now he's one of the most important characters in the entire universe. Um, and I think that that's a testament to how good a writer Ed Brubaker is. Sure. So that's kind of stuff can work. But yeah. Just wanted to bring that up because I thought that Secret Origins was a good, a good jumping off point from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the responsibility of making it good that that falls to the creator to to find that balance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Bob, do you want to ring him with something there? Nope. Okay. All right, cool. So I'm gonna do my lightning round now. All right, and go. All right, first of all, Batman number thirty-nine. Holy shit! I don't even know what to say about <laughs> what's going on in Batman right now. The the biggest thing I can say is that Snyder has brought a real sense of danger back into the book like i do not know what's going to happen next um and that's a fantastic thing to have in your 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 top heroes book i I don't know what's going to happen people are getting injured in ways i never thought they'd get injured just insane stuff i don't know how it's going to end up but i'm really excited to see what happens uh daredevil number 13 another just stellar issue for mark wade and chris samney um really awesome ways of flipping the hero kind of and classic hero's girlfriend relationship on its head some really really awesome stuff there uh where matt thinks you know he does his usual kind of i I don't want my enemies to get to you you know go through me go through you to get to me and it ends up someone who goes after Kristen mcduffie is actually just an enemy of Kristen mcduffie who she put away and there's a really funny exchange between daredevil and and his girlfriend in 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 that scenario uh (laughs) thor annual number one uh three really good stories um you know one one by jason aaron one by noelle stevenson and one by cm punk um, all three uh, have fun in them. Jason Aaron's story is the most serious, but mm-hmm. Noel Stevenson's story, I think she nails Lady Thor um, way better than even just Jason Aaron has, I think, yet. And I love, I love Jason Aaron's stuff. I just thought it was really great. Um, and I, CM Punk's story was just a ton of fun. Really yeah. great stuff. It was a good a time. Wrestler who, yeah, a wrestler who did a really great job writing that book. Um, Amazing Spider-Man uh, number 15, which is the, ed- which is the Spider-Verse uh, epilogue. Um, I thought it was good. It's, w- it's weird that they call it an epilogue because it feels more like the last part of Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, it really closes off that loop uh, more than I, I felt like the main series should have. Um, Suiciders number one, uh, Lee Bermejo with uh, colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Really gorgeous, stunning art. Um, the story is a little derivative of something like it's like Escape from New York or Mad Max or you know uh, stories, other stories in that ilk. Um, but a pretty cool, interesting take, and I'll look for it in trade. But I don't know if I keep picking up single issues. And Uncanny Avengers number two, recommender Daniel Acuna. Uh, these last two issues, which have been jumping on points, have been really, really fun, um, bizarre books uh, with the. Uh, the high evolutionary taking center stage as our main villain here. And the art by Daniel Acuna is just 
absolutely stunning. I, I He's been doing it for a while. I don't think I've given enough credit before. Uh, it's just unbelievably gorgeous stuff. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how this ends up. I don't know what's going to happen after Secret Wars, but we'll see where it goes. And that is my lightning round. Nicely done. All right. Hey, as the high evolutionary created the counter-Earth many years ago for Warlock and all his other friends to pal around on, who knows how he'll take this whole crushing of the planets together. It's absolutely. I mean, and this is all about, this all takes place on counter-Earth. Uh-huh. It's kind of uh, Quicksilver and Wanda's search for their true kind of origin now, which is another reason why I was going to bring up the secret origin thing, because um, in the wake of, I guess, Axis or whatever they've, the, and in the wake of Marvel not owning Magneto for their movie rights, um, they're kind of repositioning Wanda and Pietro as coming from somewhere else at this point. Um, and this is kind of what the whole search is about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we'll have to see. I don't know how this is going to end up, but uh, Sabretooth is now, he's still like, he after, even after the Axis event has passed, he's one of, the, one of the characters that had things left behind with him. And now he's sort of a good guy. And, and, and there's a, a testament to that in this book, which I thought was really cool. A lot of good um, internal monologue with, with, with Sabretooth, hmm. um, where basically, you know, he's, he's in a life or death situation and he says, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but he says to himself, you know, I don't have that thing in me anymore. The thing that would do anything to survive. He goes that this whatever took it away from me, but I'd rather die than ever bring that thing back. Um, so he wants to be a good person. And I, I thought, I think that's a really cool twist. Yeah. Uh, for that character um and it's it's got the remainder thing where it's really serious at times but also really silly at times and um you know i fell behind on the other series and just kind of got lost in, in a weed of back issues and now with this number one number two I, i've uh, i dove back in and, and i've been really enjoying it quite nice. a bit yeah absolutely all right let's talk about our individual books of the week mm-hmm. steve i believe you're first up i am should i go <laughs> Yes, you should go. All right. So my favorite book of the week is something that I've been meaning to read for a very long time. Uh, I believe Stephanie brought it up on the podcast maybe within our first year or so. I can't quite remember when. But I think uh, last th- year, actually. Is it? Yeah, it was more recently. Okay. So um, I was in Canada and happened to find the uh, deluxe hardcover from Vertigo of Joe the Barbarian by Grant Morrison and Sean Murphy. And I absolutely positively loved it. Um, it's my favorite thing that I've read from Morrison to date. There's no question about it. Um, I think a lot of his other stuff is amazing, but this book in particular just happens to speak to like my my interests and sensibilities and stuff like that. Um, for those of you who don't know what Joe the Barbarian is about, it's about a young man. He's probably in, I'd say junior high school if i had to guess and he's having a really rough day and his his mom's in danger of losing their house they can't find the deed and and just terrible things are happening all around him and he goes home and he decides that he's going to go up into his bedroom in the attic of this gigantic mansion-like home and he's just going to sleep it off and just hope that it all goes away unfortunately for joe uh joe also um is prone to going into hypoglycemic shock. Uh, if he does not get uh, enough sugar in his system, his body will start to react. And unfortunately for Joe, he wakes up in the middle of this nap and he is having a hypoglycemic attack. Um, as the result of this attack, his the synapses in his brain are firing off 
and pretty much projecting this fantasy world uh, for him. And it's, it's all of the things in his house pretty much come to life. He has a pet rat. This pet rat now speaks and has like ridiculous armor on and is armed to the teeth with swords. Um, his whole house becomes this like gigantic um, just fantasy world. All of his toys come to life. Batman is there. G.I. Joe is there. The Transformers are there. Um, all of these things are pretty much helping him on this quest. And his quest is uh, to turn the lights back on inside of his house and to reach the kitchen uh, in order to grab uh, some soda to put some sugar back into his system so he will survive. Uh, in typical Grant Morrison fashion, this story is, it's only eight issues, but it is gigantic and epic in its, in its presentation. The artwork from Sean Murphy is absolutely gorgeous. It's like the wake times a hundred thousand. I love what this guy does with color. I kind of forgot that he did the wake when I was reading this and I was like, oh, it's so cool to see him use colors. And then I remembered the wake. But anyway, um, just like the sprawling vistas and all the cool fantasy realms that you go to within the story. Um, he brings in like other characters, basically kids from his school and authority figures that he knows that have kind of made their way into his subconscious. And now they're with him on this journey. And um, while trying to turn the lights back on inside of his house and basically bring light to this uh, growing darkness within this land inside of his head, uh, all these characters are basically helping him to not die as he makes his way down the stairs and into the basement to turn the lights on and then into his kitchen. Um, for a story that goes from one place to another, like when you think of your house and you think, oh, the attic is just upstairs, you just pull the string down and the ladder comes down and I'm up in the attic. This is a very, very big house. This is like a lemony snicket giant type of house. So it's a long journey to get from the top to the very bottom. So there's a lot of time for like, really incredible like engrossing character development and huge action sequences and really cool like guest spots from characters like the great ghost shows up uh, of of all characters and they're all there to help joe in this kind of altered state that he's in as he's wrestling with his own life trying to make it down into the house and find the soda to replenish himself and not slip into a coma and die um Totally, totally just blew my mind, uh, both in art and story. And uh, for anybody that has yet to check this out, it's phenomenal. And if you're often confused by some of Grant Morrison's stuff, this is probably the most straightforward thing that I've ever read by him. So if that intimidates you, just don't even worry about it. And go and find this book and check it out. It's amazing. Awesome. That's what I've got. Cool. Questions? Cool. Comments? <laughs> How many issues? What are we looking at so far? It's eight issues. It's done. It's it's been huh? done for for a while. This is a collected uh, hardcover that I got, and um, it is just it's it's presented almost in like a like a Grimm's fairy tales fable fashion. Like inside the first page of every uh, issue is a quote that will happen within the story, and like cool like the artwork for it is just absolutely ridiculous. Like it's. Sean Murphy doing all of the great stuff that he did in punk rock Jesus and the wake and teen Titans and all of that stuff, but just to a level that I've never seen before. And especially seeing him draw characters that I'm familiar with in, in when the toys come to life mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
like a lot of what Joe has in his room is stuff that I grew up with. So you see like the wrestling buddies and snake eyes from GI Joe is there and they're all, you know, fighting alongside him to, to beat back death essentially. And, and, and there's this whole other storyline with his father that that's not in the picture and just really, really like heartstring tugging stuff. Um, and a really, really satisfactory ending. It's one of those like final pages where you just pump your fist and you're like, yeah. Um, I'm actually curious, Bobby, have you read this? I have not read it. No, it's, oh, one, man. Of, it's one of the, uh, Grant, one of the many Grant Morrison things I have not read yet. If I were at your place, I'd be handing this to you right now. <laughs> so next week, cool. um, I think you'll love it. I, I, it's, it's absolutely just wonderful. I'm sure I will. Uh, um, everything you said about it sounds really great. It's really funny. I was, uh, on Twitter today, I, I was weird. I was talking about something with, uh, talking games, Justin Townsend and or, or yelling, not talking. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yelling. Um, as I usually will at Justin and I, I brought up, um, final crisis and the anti-life equation. And there, there's this, there's this Twitter account called, um, the mother box that, it like I must have a search on for anyone's talking about those things because they will just tweet at you, beep beep beep, because um, uh, if you anybody's read Final Crisis or anything with that gun device, you would know what that means. But it's just a cra- it was a, it's a kind of crazy creepy thing that this thing all of a sudden pops up when you start talking about the anti anti life equation uh, on Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's a little tangential Grant Morrison story for you. They're watching you. <laughs> They are. They are. They're watching it. Um, but um, yeah, I think you'll. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's super high fantasy to the to the tune of of like the never ending story, and, and and stuff like that. It's it's just awesome. Cool. Awesome. I I look forward to it. Um, Stephanie. Hello. 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 What? Wh- tell us about. You have a webcomic to talk about this week, don't you? I do. I um. So do you know why I know that, Stephanie? Because I emailed you. You did. In well, advance. You did. You were first. You played the role of Bob this week. I know. <laughs> I was pretty email. proud of myself. Yup. Except, <laughs> like, Bob's like, here's my list. Like, it's, like, so cordial and nice and be like, oh, I loved this stuff. I'm going to talk about this stuff. And me, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but here are things I read. <laughs> like, my list had just, like, a lot of caps locks and screaming. Mm. You write emails much the same way you speak I to do. us on the podcast. I do. Um, you know, mm. like, not tangent, uh, but uh, people who I've known on Twitter for a long time will meet me and they're like, you're exactly how I would imagine you. <laughs> like, like, you tweet exactly how you are. And I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Here I am. True story. True story. Yep. So. I was a guest on a podcast last week called the Joe Schmo Comic Show, uh, talking about women in comics. And they recommended this webcomic to me. And uh, it so happened that uh, a friend on Twitter was the one that writes and draws it. So I was like, oh, this is what he does. And I got really into it. And that comic was uh, Huge Hannah by Ian Burns. So it's hugehanna.com, but Hannah is H-A-N-A. Uh, so a little bit different than, I think, the normal spelling of it. But it's got currently three, technically three chapters, two chapters. It's got like a prologue and then uh, two chapters online that kind of go over what's going on with Hannah. Who is Hannah? Uh, and 
Hannah is Hannah Masterson, and uh, she, so far in this, I mean, we're getting the impression that something has changed her, the very core of who she is. And uh, given her powers, and she transforms into huge Hannah, spoilers, (laughs) Uh, but you don't really get to see a lot of that so far, Uh, you know, like. A webcomic, if you guys aren't familiar with it, they post a page or a panel or whatever, like, usually once a week. So, uh, over the course of a couple of years, this has been going up, and they, the, they've got, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many pages each chapter is exactly, but there's a significant portion of it, but it doesn't really get into the meat of what's going on. Uh, so far, an asteroid or something or a comet has crashed and Hannah happens to be close by when that happens. And as a result, again, she is changed into a giant woman, but she's not like giant all the time. She's mostly normal Hannah as opposed to huge Hannah. Um, so every now and again, she just becomes huge Hannah and she doesn't really know why or what's happening to her. And, uh, initially when these transformations happen, you know, that the world is like, oh my God, this is basically, she's basically King Kong. Let's <laughs> shoot things at her. And they're really scared of her. Uh, and she's really scared of what's happening to her because wouldn't you be if, you know, you were just this normal person and then one day you just randomly became massive, like gigantic? I think so. And then helicopters and stuff start chasing you. It's just, it's a nightmare. Um, anyways, though, so we're not too far into what's going on there with Hannah. She's just starting to make these transformations. And we're getting to see a little bit of why she's making these transformations, uh, what's causing them, and the science going on behind it. It's just a really beautiful story, uh, really well drawn. And uh, like, if you guys have read, I mean, Steve, you've read like The Abominable, Charles Christopher, and Bobby, I think mm-hmm. you have too. Yep. Bob. Um, but you know, it's like three panels um, usually every week. And it's on hiatus right now because Carl Kershaw is working on Gotham Academy like nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's three panels usually, they go up every week, and then he collects them. Hugh Hannah goes up every week, but it's a full page, you know, like a normal full-sized page from any comic book. So a lot more oh, wow. goes into, um, you know, the story that's being told. It's being progressed a lot quicker. Uh, but originally when the story is being told, uh, like in the prologue and as it carries on, it's all black and white. And then... As it carries on, there's a little more color that comes into it, and there's some more tones, and just things get added into it. And then as it carries on, and we still keep on finding out more about Hannah, it eventually becomes color. So it it just makes this progression from being black and white into a full-color comic, and it's really cool. That is Um, really cool. It's initially kind of like, you know, there'll be like blue tones or red tones and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, it's full-color. And it's a really, like, somebody had pointed it out to me when I was talking to them on the show last week. Uh, But 
I, I would have been interested to kind of see that progression myself and kind of pick up on it. You know, like, I don't know. Does that make sense to anyone? Like kind of yeah, noticing sure. the shift um, changing before my eyes as opposed to being told about it. Uh, but it, it, it's a really, really interesting comic. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to point people in the direction of Hugh Hanna. Um it's it's got a lot more going on for it too, you know, like there's a lot of personal stuff with Hannah and you get to see some of her interactions with her friends and I just I think it's worth checking out. I'm interested. Yeah. That sounds I, cool. I very much enjoyed it. I read it today. Yay! Hey. What did you think? Well, I love the whole take on 50 science fiction things, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman sort of deal <laughs> and that was also taken up in Monsters vs. Aliens a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. But, but where you also went with this is, I'll go really old here, but coming off of those, the, the original Doom Patrol, there was Elastigirl, Rita Farr, who exposed to strange gases while on a movie set. She was a big movie star, became a really big movie star. <laughs> and she could change back and forth and stretch bits of her sort of the way Kamala Khan can but was part of this team of misfits, and I'm getting that sort of vibe here too, beyond the lovely personal stuff with her family wondering, is she sick? Or you have to come out for a day or two. got to forget what's going on as she goes sort of place to place sorting out what's going on with her life. You have this crazy 50s science fiction vibe happening with the comic, regular comic things layered into it too. Just a lot of really cool stuff going on. As you say, really well drawn. And mm -hmm. the, the colors as they came, I read it all in one lump today. And it was almost as if I was, you know, you, you, with the way it, it's laid out, you can see the pages coming at the bottom of the screen. And you can see the next page, oh, wow, oh, it's now this brown tone of these blues as we flash back and forward and sort of sideways. Just, just a really nicely, nicely crafted way to change the mood up. Yeah. I really loved that. I'm very glad you pointed this one out. I I really thought, speaking of the attack of... It's the attack of the 50-foot woman, Foot right? Woman, yep. Yeah. Uh, like, there's a scene where Hannah's by a movie theater, and I was looking at the uh, theater to see if maybe they had subtly put that yes. in there as, like, something that was playing. I thought that would have been cute, but they didn't, but I was looking. <laughs> they might yet. You never know. But, I mean, you saw kind of the King Kong-esque parts of it, too. Well, sure. Where oh, it's like monsters, you 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 send helicopters and airplanes. That's what you do. We don't understand this. Kill it. <laughs> and it never went well in the fifties. No, no. Uh, looking at, it, I'm looking at it right now uh, as you guys are talking, and it, it it it's a less kind of drastic version of reminds me of of last year, Stephanie, when you were bringing up the Noel Stevenson um, webcomic, mm -hmm. um, and looking at her art style on that first page to the last page it was like night and day mm -hmm. um the improvement that she had made and here it's not the art is completely solid the entire way through it, it the, the style is very consistent and that's very uh admirable i think for for a project like this um the art reminds me it has sort of like a it, it feels like a weird not weird but like a, a, a meshing between the sort of, sort of some becky clunan i think type yeah, uh aspect to that. it um, but also some McKelvey aspects to it too. It's like a, to me, to me the, it's like those two art styles kind of meshed. Like the fashion kind of side of it. Cause McKelvey's very like into 
what the hip kids are wearing and yeah <laughs> like all of hannah's friends are very stylish and very um like people you would see at a hip concert yeah mm-hmm. um and the, the thick line the thicker lines is they're not, not quite as thick as like a becky clunan's lines i think but uh it reminds me of that you know in hers and i, I think the use of color and the stark use of color reminds me of both of them in in, in a lot of ways um because what also kind of earmarks McKelvey stuff to me is it, this very, it's a lot of detail in faces and stuff like that, but in backgrounds and stuff like that, less, you know, much more impressionistic in, in backgrounds and stuff like that. And um, it, it, it shares, let in common both those. And that's a compliment, a huge compliment coming for me because they're two of my favorite artists. Um, really gorgeous, gorgeous stuff here. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And I mean, um, webcomics are really setting the bar for regular comics. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was talking about Nimona. Like, Nimona was one of my web comics for the best of list two years in a row. And as you mentioned, there was like this really drastic um, change in where she began and where, you know, Nimona is now. Um, and now, like, you know, Noelle Stevenson was just kind of this Tumblr user that posted up this great web comic. Um, and now she's r- reviving Runaways, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. between like lumberjanes and that, it's like web comics are the future, guys. <laughs> if you want your voice to be heard and if you want to like get on top of this stuff, check out web comics like Huge Hannah. Speaking of, I mean, we also bring it up because you you conversationally brought it up mm-hmm. that that Runaways uh, return, which is going to be, uh, I guess, a part of. One of the Secret Wars kind of series that are happening around there. They've announced a few of them in the last couple of weeks. Um, Stephanie, since you brought it up, uh, how are you feeling about this this Runaways revival? I'm so excited. Um, I mean, I know it's part of Secret Wars, but and I will read it as long as there's not super strong tie-ins to the event itself. Like, if I can read it as a separate entity... Um, I'm really going to be into that. If it winds up being stuff that it's like, you know, editor's note, please see Secret Wars issue, <laughs> you know, whatever, to understand this particular plot point. Um, like, I'm sorry, I don't care that it's Runaways. I don't care that it's Noelle Stevenson. I don't care. I will throw it in the garbage. Um, but like, maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe give it to, give it to somebody who wants to read it. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> uh, also i read a lot of digital comics I'm not it's true yeah you throw your ipad in the garbage. yeah it's not really it's, it's a metaphorical garbage body okay 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 <laughs> and i mean maybe that's a bit harsh but i'm i don't want to i want this to stand alone runaways is a really uh dear comic to me you know it was something that uh like really cemented me in this world and in this geekdom and i love it and it's something that i can go back to all the time and enjoy. So I'm obviously really stoked for it. And I just hope that it's well done. Um, and I mean, like it, it might not be, you know, so much Noel Stevenson, like, okay. Brian K. Vaughn's run. I loved, I loved, loved, loved it. He created these characters. He created this world for them. And it was amazing. Everything after Brian K. Vaughn's run was like, like even Joss Whedon, Terry Moore, um, two people who like myself and many other nerds love, I did not love those runs. I thought that they just did not feel mm-hmm. uh, like the runaways to me. So, I mean, 
I have a really high bar for this series, and I, I want it to be great. Um, but I'm also not holding my breath in a way, too, because, like, it just, I don't know, it has a really unique voice to it that I think, obviously, Brian K. Vaughn uh, created, and he did the best uh, interpretation of because it was his world. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, also, just so we get the facts out there, it's it's not going to be, um, I, I think, that it's not going to be at all the classic kind of Runaways cast. Um, yeah, which, Valeria Richards is yep. in it, right? Yeah, Valeria Richards is in it. Um, I believe it's, uh, these are, it's uh, Scar, Cloak, Dagger, Jubilee, uh, Amadeus Cho, uh, a brand new character named Santa, um, uh, Blair Richards, obviously, um, and some other people as well. I don't think they've announced all the team members, uh, which yet is not particularly exciting to me. Yeah, but I mean, Molly is in it. Yes, Molly is in it. Yes, and I think, but I think it's important, right? Because, like you were saying, Stephanie, that Brian K. Vaughn stuff is so seminal and so special to a lot of people, not just you, obviously. And I think that if Noel Stevenson was just trying to do another book with those same people and that exact sort of idea i think it would be even harder for a lot of people to accept it in a, in a lot of ways you know i i would me for me and I, I, this is because i'm gonna let steve speak in a second who has a large attachment as well to this this story with not a lot of attachment to that story because i just haven't read it yet um i would rather see her do her own thing so she can bring her own voice to what what she's what she's doing um mm-hmm. but uh steve what did you think when you saw this announcement well i freaked out I, I freaked out. At first, I got really excited about just the announcement, and then I kind of recoiled in horror, realizing that I didn't see the creative team that was announced, and I became very concerned. And then I read a little bit further and saw that Noelle Stevenson and Sanford Green were uh, the creative team on this, and I just... I mean, even before it's coming out, I'm, I'm already in love with the idea. Um, I had actually the opportunity, I think during... Uh, either Comic Con or Special Edition Comic Con to actually talk to to Sanford and like go through his art books and stuff like that. And he's got a really, really um, just fantastic style that I think will do this series and and these characters a lot of justice. Um, couple that with Noelle Stevenson's uh, voice that she's she's developed over the past uh, few years and stuff like that with Lumberjanes and the Nimona series and all this stuff. Um, was very, very pleasantly surprised that somebody, a female writer with sensitivities towards the, like the age bracket that they're looking to include in these characters, she, she gets that. And I think that she's going to, I hope, hope that she's going to have a lot of fun with this. And like you said, Bobby, I, I'm looking forward to her doing her own thing with it. Um, I do agree with Stephanie and that after Brian K. Vaughn left the series, as much as I do uh, very much enjoy the other writers that the series itself just kind of declined and the ending of it in my personal opinion was was not not acceptable um, the way that they left it off I would love for her either to pick up the pieces and explain a few things or if there isn't time for that because it's it's part of Secret Wars just start fresh and and have the spirit of what made the original Runaways so great and try to try to do your own thing with it um, and then after all of that, I found out that Valeria Richards was going to be a featured character and a part of the team and my head exploded. And I've been spending the last couple of days finding the pieces and putting it back together. 
Um, she is one of my favorite comic book characters of all time, uh, right next to Barbara Thorson. And her being featured with, even if it's just Molly, but under the Runaways um, stamp, very, very, very excited about that. That character has been off in Latveria in Avengers World with Doom doing things and has kind of been kept in the basement for a while. And I haven't been able to enjoy that character and see her actually go out and do what she does. And I would love the opportunity to have her back out in the world, running around with some people that are, are a little bit closer to her age and seeing what she can do with, with that group. So I'm, I'm overall very, very excited about this. Yeah, and um, I will say that it's weird because she's on the cover. It's the variant cover, but she's on the cover. Oh, it's uh, such a good cover, too. But her uh, her name isn't listed in any of like the material for the book, um, but I'm sure that if she's on the cover, she'll end up being in the book. I, I just mm-hmm. um, One of the other people that is in there, which I didn't mention before, is it's like a teenage version of Bucky Barnes, um, but he has like the Winter Soldier getup on. I don't know what that deal is going to be, but that's one of the characters. Susan, I just wanted to, hmm. to mention that, uh, Bob, I know that you have no experience with it all, but did yep. you, how did you react to the announcement? Uh, it's an interesting mix of characters from all over the place. It isn't, I guess the original runaways concept was the children of supervillains. Yes. So there's some of that. And there's just some younger people with odd things going on. Amadeus show. Who's what the ninth smartest person in the Marvel <laughs> universe or wherever he mm-hmm. describes himself. It's a nice balance of skill sets with a really great writer. So it could be entertaining. Uh, teenage Bucky Barnes, who knows which Bucky survives incursions and secret wars and whatever. Maybe it's the just after he gets turned into the Winter Soldier. Maybe, yeah. So that's there's some interesting story angles here i will certainly check this out as steve said valeria is one of my favorite characters too so seeing what she can do with her peers around as opposed to having to butt heads with her dad could be very entertaining yeah totally i mean for me it's uh, when teenage superhero teams are some are like my favorite thing in the world so i am in and there to read it and we'll see how it all shakes out but stephanie i do agree with you one of the things that when i was reading spider-verse that bothered me what and i was that there was a lot of stuff that was see this other issue of, of the book. And um, I know there'll be some of that and I, I, I'm not expecting there to be none of that in secret wars. Um, but I hope that these series, all of them, you know, whether it be this or they announced a Korvac saga uh, book continuation of that story um, and they, uh, an extinction uh, book as well, whatever you're reading, whatever you choose to read, I hope that, you know, you're not weighted down by it. Uh, you know mm-hmm. in, in, like an index to other books yeah, yeah um, like, is what I hope I'm not thrilled that it's back in battle world and stuff but like mm. I, I'm obviously willing to I mm. want this to be good I want it so very badly to be good I mean and hopefully it's a signal that they'll keep it going after all this stuff happens you mm-hmm. know if it's successful if it works if it's popular hopefully you'll see w- with this writer and this creative team bringing it into a regular series where it's not involved in this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know a lot of our listeners are excited about the Korvac saga thing. And I know Bob, um, you're obviously, you know, that the old Avengers story that that, that's told in um, one of the great Avengers stories of all time, right? Absolutely. If you're making a top 10 list of Avengers stories, must read essential ones. It's that one. 
a fabulous, very bad villain who may only have good at a certain level, wants order, wants his, the universe to be the way he wants it, which you could say could be altruistic or completely dictatorial. Mm-hmm. But what we end up, it's a character who's been changed in his encounters with, I don't want to spoil too much of this, even though it's 30 years ago, <laughs> but we end up with a, a cosmically powered character who literally can change anything, who runs afoul of the Avengers, as you would, with that sort of power set and mindset. The final battle sequence in a, in a little house in the middle of New Jersey, I think it was, hmm. is classic 70s, 80s Marvel. You've got heroism at every level and every Avenger dies, which is pretty stunning. <laughs> this is to say, since they're all alive, something else goes on too, but it has been reprinted in a couple of different forms at this point. How they, Where they go with this, who knows what parallel universe Michael Korvac is still around in. But this had the Guardians and the Badoon and Kree and Skrulls and every Avenger imaginable in a battle sequence in someone's living room. And if that doesn't whet your appetite to read this thing, I don't know what will. <laughs> Absolutely. So a lot of people are excited about it. Let's see if we'll see if it, it can be obviously continued in some way um, here. It's they've been doing this a lot, right, where they're touching on a lot of their older stuff. Um, one of the things, too, is Extinction Agenda, which is Mark Guggenheim um, and C- Carmine D. Bob, you said the same a lot during X Factor talk. D. Oh, OK, I don't have it in front of me now. You're going to you got to catch me. D. Giordano. <laughs> D. Gian Domenico. G. Gian Domenico. Yes. Indeed. Yes. And that one is. Uh, the uh, kind of Genosha stuff that was happening in the 90s, what if that never got overthrown and the world continued on from there? So if people are psyched about that, that's what's coming up for you guys. But just wanted to, we're trying this kind of new thing with trying to be kind of conversational with our stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've been uh, I've been trying to do this a little bit more and incorporate these topics more into our book discussions. So I hope you guys are liking it. So we'll keep going with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Bob, I think it's your book of the week time. Oh, Oh. We're all all back to that. There we go. Well, <laughs> I'm going to talk about a series from Dark Horse that I, I just caught up on, and I want to give very big thanks to Rob Newmeyer from over at Tor Comics for finding these very rare books for me. And it is Dark Horse's Lady Killer, numbers one and two, which is story by Joel Jones and Jamie S. Rich, arts by Joel Jones, and colors by Laura Allred. Now, what this is is a really slanted take on... So the 60s sitcom world of things like the Donna Reed show, Father Knows Best, Leave it to Beaver, where, you know, the husband comes from work and dinner's on the table to some really glamored up misses. Well, in, in this really very, very twisted but hilarious take on this, uh, Joel Jones and Jamie Rich, we get to see what Mrs. Josie Schuller is doing while her husband's at work. And what she's doing is she's basically a murderess for some as yet unnamed agency. And when we first see her, she's dolled up like Jackie Kennedy in a matching suit with a skirt and a jacket and a little pillbox hat. And she's selling Avon Cosmetics door-to-door, but that's only a front to get her through inside where some rather violent shenanigans take place. In her second issue, her undercover mission is to go into the Kitty Cat Club you know, read the Playboy Club and take out some 
we assume is a very nasty person. We don't know yet who she's working for and why. We get to meet her husband. Her mother-in-law lives at home with her, and she's a little suspicious. She has twin girls who, they're just wanting to play. Their home life is just as one of those old television shows. It's pristine and proper, and the, it's the right tables and the right dinner being made. The covers of the two issues so far are knockoffs of at least the fonts and layouts of old 60s magazines like McCall or Women's Day, except on one, the perfect solution to those problems stains. She's staying there in a pink dress, sort of bouffant with a petticoat underneath it. There is more blood on this kitchen than anything on this side of Resident Evil. And she just has a bucket <laughs> with a mop in it. And in the second one, which I picked for our covers of the week, she's got a dead body stuck into her big finned Plymouth Fury you know, from Christine. It's just a dead body, stylish enough for her, roomy enough for everyone else. It's a body stuffed into the trunk. Just wonderfully off-kilter story, but still a, a really telling metaphor for the secret lives that women in that period had to lead. It is hysterically funny, ultra-violent, shrewdly placed and written. It, it, absolutely, if you're, if you're a fan of Velvet or Butterfly, or even the original Avengers that has that sort of weird sensibilities it's its own little world if you're looking for something different lady killer one and two from dark horse are right up your alley issue three comes out today as a matter of fact nice awesome i can't wait till that's collected i really really want to read that it's going to read very nicely together uh i had seen the second issue in the store and the first had already disappeared and second printing supposedly coming soon and mm-hmm. I just had to read more of this and couldn't find it anywhere. And, of course, Rob comes through like mm-hmm. a champ every single time. Always. So, Lady Killer. Awesome. Now awesome. I need him to find me a secret uh, Origins number 10. <laughs> <laughs> that could be easier than Lady Killer, as I'm going to say. Hmm. Awesome. Um, cool. So, uh, I guess it is my turn to tell about yeah, my, my so. book of the week. Um, and uh, I want to talk about Dave number one. Um, originally put out as a digital series last year, uh, Ryan Ferrier, uh, who has been brought before on this podcast. Um, Ryan Ferrier is the writer, and I'm gonna get I want to get the name in front of me here. Uh, Valentin Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> Valentin Ramon is the artist, and what Dave is about is it's a future where. Uh, we created, Carry on. Yeah, no, not different, different books. Different. I know, I know, sorry. <laughs> uh, where we have created robots who w- got very smart and eradicated us, and they have become kind of, they've inherited the earth and they live on the earth, and they've also gone to war with all manner of species in the galaxy and, and eliminated all threats. So they now live on earth, um, and they've become sort of like we are now, you know, they... They watch TV. They, 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 you know, a lot of them settle for lives that are, they're not happy with. They work at shitty jobs, all of this kind of stuff. And Dave, um, who it's spelled D4VE, is um, a robot who used to be part of this squad of like ultra awesome robots that took out all these aliens and was a hero to the world. But now there's no more threats. So he, there's nowhere for him to go. Um, so he's kind of fallen into a life that he never wanted and never expected to have. And, you know, it, it, and it's about him sort of going through a crisis and, and trying to figure out, 
you know, what he should do, who he is, is this the life he wants? And in the, in the midst of that, there is a, a possibly a threat coming that will change his entire life. Um, it's got interesting elements of something like the Incredibles or, um, American beauty in some ways as well. Um, I robot make you know, a little bit as well as there, obviously with the, the robot stuff. Um, but it, it's just, it's really, really funny. Um, it's, and, and smart and witty. Um, and I just was enjoying reading it so much. You know, th- there was just so much about it that was likable. The main character is, um, he's a robot, obviously, who's kind of a mess, but he's really likable and, and interesting to read. And, you know, I, I I love seeing that. I love seeing, there are times where it gets, where the robot versions of the, you know, what the human things can be a little bit too on the nose and a little bit like okay you're, you're trying to be too cl- clever for your own good here but i thought that overall seeing the world that he created that's so much like ours but also so different i thought was just incredibly entertaining and i just mm-hmm. couldn't wait and i know it's all available already i'm gonna wait for it to come out like this um but I, I just can't wait to read the next issue and dive farther into Dave's life and see what comes of all of this kind of madness that that's been going on. And the art is, is really nice as well. Um, very evocative, um, very interesting and does a lot with characters who all generally look the same, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Um, Steve, I know you're, you read it as well. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I've got this thing for, reading stories or watching movies where, you know, we jump into the future and all this, all these wars have happened, all these things have happened and seeing like the state of things, the idea of AI rising above the humans only to become kind of human themselves after they've eradicated everything. I just thought was kind of apropos and hysterical. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the, the art of the book. It was kind of, bizarre and pulpy but still super colorful and interesting and um i like the comparisons you made of the incredibles and american beauty i wouldn't even i didn't even think of that before you said it and now that you have i i can totally see it um i'm definitely gonna be picking this up in the single issue format um just a really cool it was one of those books that when it was over when i got to the last page I like, immediately wanted there to be more. I didn't. I didn't want the the story to end. So, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know I'm I, just teasing. <laughs> I want. I, I I like having it in in physical form, and I love that they included. I guess like alternate uh, covers and artwork in the back. Uh, I thought some of those images were really cool, and um, yeah, I I love that whole you know, super tech future stuff. Um, it's just a really cool playground for, for good stories. Yeah. I love that. It's super tech future, but, but it, it, because, and they say, he says this right in the, in the narration that because they're programmed by people, Mm -hmm. they behave like people, right? You know, they love parades. That's one of the (laughs) things he he brings up. Um, they live in houses that look like our houses. You know, they don't live in like crazy, like futuristic apartment buildings or sleep in like, you know, like, little boxes they sleep in beds right they drink like hot oil for coffee yeah exactly and stuff like that like he goes to the, the corner store to buy like you know some oil like like it's milk for his wife in like a, you know he's wearing like a hooded sweatshirt mm-hmm. you know like anybody else does when they run down to the store um i love that about it i loved those little those little details about it um i like the kid the like, kid yeah <laughs> whatever <laughs> the kid's just introduced in the last page of this like first print issue 
Um, oh, there's not. Okay. Yeah, it's like he's, he's he, like. He, I like that. There's not a baby. It's just you know. She's like, you forgot that we're having a child. And then, yeah, like, yeah. So that's like the like very this end. Teenager in his living room. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. Hey. Yeah. That's literally like the last moment, really, of the of the book <laughs> is him being like, "Oh yeah, that's right." <laughs> um, but uh, th- it's great, and there's this one full page, like single page spread that I just, I just love. It's just you know, um, he can't sleep. He's outside drinking the hot oil, and he he has this whole kind of like introspective monologue. You know, he's, billions of stars still burning out there. Mm-hmm. Then there's me, so small in the grand scheme of things. How did it get so bad, so lonely? I felt like I was just getting started, like I was on the path to something good. Those epic balls of gas still lighting the whole galaxy, and it's empty because of me. <laughs> Gah. Are you there, God? It's me, Dave. Yeah, Dave, you remember. Oh, right, I punched you square in the dick that one time. Sorry, God. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Shit, I got work in three hours. Um, and what I loved about it was it's funny, right? It's, it's, it's a funny monologue. It plays against against the, the, the speech with the, that I punched you in the dick line. But what I love about it is that we've all been there, right? We've all been in those moments where like, we can't sleep and we get introspective and we're, we're, we're talking to ourselves and I then <laughs> but you realize then like, Oh shit, I gotta be up. You know? And the, I love how the, the reality breaks into the philosophy mm-hmm. of, of his thinking. I um, thought I just, you were going to say that all of us have punched God in the dick. No, 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 not, not all of us. <laughs> I think Bob definitely has, but <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just, my, uh, that's just my, my estimation <laughs> about, about that. Uh, I like um, just a, I, I, some of the like the fun stuff going on in the background as well. Like for all the the funny dialogue and all the stuff, there's all these little futuristic things like all the robots they eat iron loops and stuff like that. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> I love that kind of. It's like when I read Sex Criminals and I and they go inside of the sex shop and you see like you know the the vagina sleeping bag and stuff like that. Like all these little funny things happening in the background. Meanwhile, the story is like right up in front of your face, but there's so much to appreciate otherwise as yeah, well. Absolutely. And I, I just love, you know, like the, the robot strip club that he goes to. Yeah. And I love that this alien race comes down and this robot doesn't recognize him. The only thing you can ask him is age, sex, location, <laughs> um, which I just think is hilarious. Uh, just a lot of inventiveness and humor. Great stuff from Ryan Ferrier um, and Valentin, Valentin Ramon. Um, if you guys, it's all available from Monkey Brain uh, right now. But if you guys, you know, are interested in it and for your comics in print, uh, Dave is awesome. That's that's two Ryan Farrier things this week. I know. Pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Um, so we haven't even gotten to Spider-Gwen yet, and we're in about an hour and a half. So I think we're going to take a little break before we talk about Spider-Gwen. Um, so we're going to take a little break and come back right after this and talk about some Spider-Gwen. We are back, and we are here to talk about Spider-Gwen number one. Um, it's our shared book of the week here for Talking Comics. Um, we had a lot of responses this week uh, from our hashtag TCBOTW, and we'll read those out in just a little bit. But I assign Spider-Gwen number one, so I will uh, kick off the conversation here about it. 
Um, Spider-Gwen number one is obviously spinning out of the events of Edge of Spider-Verse. I believe number two, which uh, was the debut of Spider-Woman um, of an alternate Earth who was in fact Gwen Stacy, um, where Peter Parker had died. And now Spider Gwen Stacy's Spider-Woman was now a vigilante um, in trouble with the law. Uh, much the way Peter was at the beginning of his kind of tenure as Spider-Man. And uh, it's been relabeled as Spider-Gwen. Uh, and for reasons why Jason Latour said that's because that's the way you know her. Um, and here we have her number one issue where we see her coming back from Spider-Verse and re-entering her life um, and attempting to kind of filter through the mess she left behind at the end of the, uh, the Spider-Verse issue that she was in. Uh, the team returns, Jason Latour and uh, Robbie Rodriguez, uh, return on uh, uh, for uh, writing and art duties and uh rico renzi returns as color artist for the book um so yeah so let's start off bob what did you think of spider gwen number one well i enjoyed it quite a bit but with a couple of ellipses i was just hoping for a little more backstory a little more of a great jumping on point for new readers as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when Silk, which I passed on, and we talked about last week, did such an elegant job of filtering in all the things you needed within the issue itself without you having to go anywhere else for it. Now, that said, I'm much more invested in Spider-Gwen from years of reading about the real Gwen Stacy. And not only that, I think this book very much channels the Mae Parker Spider-Girl. For those who've read that, you'll know what I'm saying. Those who haven't, you probably should. So that I think that influence is really here. I think this is like a really solid B plus. You know, it's if you're grading it in school, good work, but could, could shows could show some improvement. All right. Okay. 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 Uh, <laughs> Stephanie, what about you? Um, I'm pretty much in the same sort of court here as Bob. I I thought it was a solid effort, and I feel like there's a lot of potential uh, for this character and for this book to be excellent. Um, but it was a good book, not great. It like, there's only been one issue with this character before. She's a brand new character. And yet they somehow managed to find ways to reference things that people wouldn't know about if they only picked up this issue. Like that's a no, no. How do you do that? There's only one other issue. You like, it shouldn't have read like an issue number two. It should have read like an issue number one because it is an issue number one. And if you have to, you know, talk about other things that happened, then it's not an issue number one. You know, if there's editor's notes that say, oh, read Edge of the Spider-Verse number two. Oh, read this. That's not, that's not a jumping on point for somebody. If they have to go back and read new material to read a number one, You've failed as a writer to make this inclusive for anyone new. And that's just like the book might be good. It might be, you know, well written in all other respects. But if there's any confusion at all, you've failed. And like it just really baffles me as to how they couldn't have made an issue where like it was just. Here's Spider-Gwen doing Spider-Gwen things. Um, And as for the character herself, you know, she felt like this really vivid, amazing personality in the Edge of the Spider-Verse issue. Number two, correct? Yeah, I think it's number two. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm, it is. She felt like she had so much story to tell, which is why everyone clamored for this to exist. Um, and for me, this didn't feel like Gwen being Gwen. It felt like a gender-bent Peter Parker. Um, as if, you know, like, in order for her to be Spider-Gwen, she needs, like, you know, the bite also equipped her with radioactive snark. Um, like she just, it, it felt to me like they were trying too hard to make her like Peter Parker and not like how Gwen Stacy would be as Spider-Woman. Does that make sense to anyone else? Um, it makes sense to me. I just think that like, uh, and I get what you're saying. And I, and some aspects I agree with you about the, the character herself. Um, but they're kind of inventing, right? Who Spider-Gwen is going to be as Spider-Woman. Yeah, but at the same time, she doesn't need to be Peter Parker. No, def- she definitely does not need to be Peter Parker. Um, and I think that they were like, well, this is an alternate universe where Spider-Man doesn't exist, Spider-Woman exists, so let's make her, like, Spider-Man in the alternate world, but, like, not with her own personality. And, I don't know. Hmm. I wish that they had given her more of her own twist as opposed to kind of just playing off of um, things that we've already seen for years and 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 years with Peter Parker. Gotcha. Makes sense. Absolutely. Steve, what about you? Okay. So my first pass through the book, I read it and I thought it was bizarre that I didn't have like a complete grasp as to what was going on. I know that they gave us a recap page in the beginning, but I didn't really feel like it had done enough to inform me of the events that had happened before. Um, however, I did read it a second time, but first I went back and I read Edge of Spider-Verse number two and come to discover, I mean, this is a direct continuation from that. Gwen mentions that she's been off in, in doing Spider-Verse stuff and she does pop up throughout that event in several other books. She goes running off with uh, with Spider-Woman and so on and so forth. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of development with her character. She was kind of just one-lining it uh, her way through the event. So now we're back in Spider-Gwen number one, and I can't help but feel that it could have benefited perhaps from like a digital download of Edge of Spider-Verse number two because of how much it relies on you having read that to understand the continuity and events happening in this issue. You know, it's it's like she took a vacation because she was off in Spider-Verse and now she's back and we're right back to dealing with the same things we were dealing with in Edge of Spider-Verse 2. But as a new reader, if you did not happen to catch that, if you if you didn't even know that that was a thing, I would feel lost. Um that said, uh, having read Sp- uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number two again, I ended up really enjoying the issue. Um, I absolutely love Robbie Rodriguez's art and uh, thought that the uh, the color work uh, from Renzi was, was just great. I know a, a couple of people I saw online were a little disturbed by it, saying it was a little too vibrant for them. Um, I really like, like the tonality of the colors and the harshness of the colors and the hot pinks and the greens. I feel like that gives this alternate universe of hers uh, a personality. And there are a couple of like little Easter eggs that I appreciated. Like they, we get introduced to um, Captain Frank Castle 
as as like a, a police officer within her universe. And I don't know if anybody else caught this, but as he's kind of uh, cracking his knuckles, the sound of him cracking his knuckles is actually Krucka. That is pretty much just adding a K to Rucka, which I, I thought was a was a really nice. Uh, if they did that on purpose, that was uh, cleverly placed. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I enjoyed it enough to 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 keep picking it up. I'm just hoping that we're going to develop the Gwen Stacy side uh, a little bit more. I want a little bit more background. I want to get to know her outside of the costume just as much as her with the costume. So I'm I'm hoping that in the issues to come that they find kind of a a, a better balance and a, a better way of introducing this character who in a way has already had her introduction but calling it a number one issue and getting getting a lot of hype behind it for new readers who might have missed Edge of Spider-Verse I I just I can't help but feel like they they might feel lost well, when when reading like this. you were saying Steve I mean I, I'm not I, I don't want to talk in hypotheticals here I read just Spider Verse number two when it came out and when I mm-hmm. read this I like you said before I was confused about stuff that yeah. was happening and you know, this is not coming from a, a new reader or a reader who doesn't know what's going on in the background even having known that issue came out you know like in, like September or something you know so mm-hmm. it, that's a long time in between issues and. Uh, I totally agree that I think that more could have been done in, in the issue to mm-hmm. to establish the character. Um, you know, going back and then reading, you know, the the Spider Verse book, I will say that the way she is in the costume in that book is almost identical to the way she's in the costume in this book. Um, mm-hmm. She is very wisecracking, you know, very uh, very Peter esque um, in, in that way. But I think what's missing here that what existed in that book which is why I think people are, are finding a disconnect in a lot of ways, is that we do not get the out-of-the-costume stuff with her that we would want, as, as, like you were saying, Steve. I, I do think, mm-hmm. look, there are some really good things about the book. I think that the attitude and energy are, are like off the charts in, in the book. Um, I think mm-hmm. the line work is stellar, and like you mentioned the color, Steve, by Rico Renzi. They're unbelievable to me. They're like neon pastels, if that could even be a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the style of the book has got its own thing going yeah. on. It's, it's, I think it's great. Um, but not reestablishing her character or her origin, even if in one page. I know there's like a little... There's like a little thing at the beginning, but still, I think that you need to go more than that if you have a number one issue. Um, you know, and offering up any glimpse of who Gwen is when she's outside the costume. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that she's driven in the same ways that a lot of the spider characters are. I love that mm-hmm. feeling of her being an outlaw and trying to prove herself. Um, I, I love that her dad knows and I love that we're continuing that that kind of story um, right. about it. Um you know, it's a lot to ask of a first issue to establish all of those things. And I think that um, the series, Stephanie, as you said, has potential, right? I mean, there's a lot of potential here. Um, I think as a first issue, it falls short in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I think as a potential series, I think there's a lot of things here that could be mm-hmm. really cool. I mean, I think the Vulture, you know... the he looked awesome. The Vulture looked awesome. There's, you know... There was other things too, like that. The way it was written, it's like you're kind of supposed to know who this vulture is. It felt like, and obviously we don't, because this is an alternate mm-hmm. Earth. So that kind of bothered me a little bit about it. Um, but I think he looks awesome, and I like the idea of it. But his motivation was kind of circumspect to me in the mm-hmm. in in the book. Yeah. Like you know, he's just kind of jealous. Um, which look, if we knew this character beforehand, maybe that would make sense. Um, right. If they set up that villain and did those things in it. 
Um, it felt like they what they wanted to do was something um, like what Ryan North and Erica Henderson did with the first issue of Squirrel Girl, mm. like kind of confront him in a in a way that showed that she's smart. Look, look, she's using her brains and not just her strength. Well, you don't say um, it in a reductive way. <laughs> you can make no, anything sound I mean, stupid by saying it that way. <laughs> but like the characters, I don't know. But in order for that to be like something that is reflected in the book, like, you know, you need to actually show that. And I absolutely agree mm-hmm. with you. The, the, the story falls short I- in those ways. I don't know um, what the decision was in the background. Obviously, we can only speculate on that. Um, mm-hmm. if the, well, I suspect it was rushed. You know, I don't know if it was, I mean, it was announced t- at Comic-Con and came out five months later. So I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's, that's necessarily rushed because Silk was announced in the same way. So I mean, if I can just jump in for a second, um, I think the the book. I mean, this is just me, and maybe they'll they'll cover this in the next few issues or so. But um, even with the Edge of Spider Verse number two that had come out, and then the recap page in this, I feel like I don't know enough about how she came to be Spider Gwen and where. Like, we get one page of her having like a heartfelt interaction with her Peter Parker and him, kind of uh, aspiring to be as powerful as her and making a mistake and but it it all happens in one page and and it's it's her reason for continuing on i would really have liked to have gone back to that and focused on that for a first issue and really establish the motivation and and story behind the character before we get to like the villain of the month and the hijinks and all of that. Yes, yeah, I don't know about that. Like I I like coming in the middle of stories and then dealing with the beginnings of stories later on. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's what Silk is going to do. Um, obviously, and going back to your point, Stephanie, about the rush nature of it, I don't think it was rushed. I just think that maybe they just decided, like, okay, we established it enough in the first in the Spider Verse issue, we can just go to number one and, and continue the story. Um, and I think that's a mistake. I, I think that you need to sit there and really and really reintroduce the character because that issue became very hard to find at a certain point, you know. And so there might be a lot of people who just like they they've heard about the character, they've seen they've they, they've seen stuff about the character, and they want to get into it. And I don't think this is a great in point for for those people. Um, I think no. it, there's got to be some way to. It's very hard to establish a world within an issue this way, right? But if you had. Just you're saying, jump into the middle of this, but give us a story that ties back into her origin for some reason, or reconnects her to her roots. We could have both mm-hmm. there, and this doesn't quite give you that. Yeah. In and of itself, there's some fun things going on. I love this sort of nod to the past. You see, uh, Steve mentioned Frank Hale, so you see Officer Grimm mm-hmm. on Yancey Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're seeing you know, uh, Joe Robertson's son, Randy, who's now a rock and roll reporter, that J.J. thinks she's a menace. This cool stuff, but since you haven't established the world that they all fit in, it's just sort of calling out names rather than giving me a character. Yeah. So, moving forward, I'm certainly going to try some more issues of this because I'm enjoying what I saw, but it needs to get better. Absolutely, and I, I think that's an important thing, right? Because like we're judging a number one issue of, of a series, um, and that does not denote how the series is going to be um mm-hmm. as a whole obviously um i think there are, are seeds of great things here i think um some of those like i love the interaction with her and that really horrible villain like really crappy villain the bodega bandit yeah. or whatever bodega bandit. um I, I i thought that stuff was fun and, and quirky and, and i think that it 
you know, I, I think it's, look, I think that it shares stuff in common with books like Batgirl. Absolutely. In, in, in some ways, but I think that, I, I think that it has a chance to do its own thing. And, um, Jason Latour is a good writer. Uh, and I think that given time, hopefully in the, in the next couple of issues, the, the problems we're having will, will resolve themselves. Yes. I think so too, but I think I, like just kind of not to rag on it for too long, but, um, or at all. Like, I think it is a good effort. I do. I think Bob gave it a really fair B plus. Um, and I, I agree, but I think this was a missed opportunity for new readers to pick up a good book monthly. I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, readers who are like, Ooh, let's check this out. And now they're not going to wait. They're going to wait for the train. Mm-hmm. I do like, agree with you. Yeah. Yes. I think because of how they went around this about this, sorry, you've now lost monthly readers and that endangers the book already right off the mm-hmm. bat. So it's unfortunate um, that they, the editors, you exist for this purpose, this very purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't get to put those little asterisks and be like, look, I'm an editor, refer to Edge of the Spider-Verse number two to make sense of this. No, you exist to say, hey, writer, this is an issue number one fix this, make it so that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, and I want to point out that specifically that that was also very much on the editors and not the writers. An editor should have stepped in and said, this is supposed to be accessible. This is supposed to be something that anybody can pick up and read. And, you know, we spend a lot of time putting it on the writer. Um, And I even said that too, like you failed as a writer. And I think that's true, but even more so is the editor who should have fixed that. Yeah. Just or, I mean, adjust the, whatever the plan was in the first place, right. To whatever they planned on doing with, with, with this issue, um, I think was wrongheaded in that way, which is a shame. Like we were saying, it's like, there's a lot of really solid stuff here. And, and I, I think the art is utterly fantastic in it. Um, and, and it's so alive and so kinetic and, and with such energy, uh, that I really hope that it improves quickly and is able to, um, become a series that's more inclusive um, and really focuses more on, I want to see a lot more of her outside of the costume, like you were saying, Steve. Um, but yeah, you know... Uh, yeah, I think that would be a smart move. Yeah, uh, Like at this point in time, if I could only choose between Silk and Spider-Gwen, if I could only have one, I'd say I, I would read Silk over Spider-Gwen. Which is... I, right. You know, when they got announced, I would have said... Spider-Gwen all the way, who cares about Silk? <laughs> now, um, the way that Silk was laid out was so perfect. It was a really, really well done first issue um, that did exactly what it was supposed to do, and Spider-Gwen did not. So, I mean, I think this plays into kind of something I wanted to talk about a little bit here, um, and, and before we get into the listener reaction to, to the book, and that's expectations versus delivery, right? Um there's none of us expected really much at, at all from, from silk. Um, and I think most of us were kind of taken aback by how good it was. Um, and we all had huge expectations for spider Gwen. Um, and we were let, we were all assuming a little bit let down by it in, to varying degrees, uh, obviously um, in the case of this, but also in the case in general, in your experience with media and reading books, how much do you think expectations play into it versus kind of the quality of the book? Stephanie? I think, I mean, my first read around of this definitely um, 
played into what I thought because my bar was really high. Um, the Edge of the Spider-Verse number two with the introduction to Gwen Stacy as Spider-Woman was amazing. It was, I mean, once again, it was not planned to have a Spider-Gwen book. Um, but everyone fell in love with this character and the costume design and just the whole idea of um, her existing in this alternate universe. And it, it became a real thing. Um, obviously, many of us loved it. So coming from that to this, the bar was really high. Um, and like, I mean, obviously, after that discussion, you know that me, personally, I was let down by it. Um, I don't think reading it through again really helped fix um, my problems with it. But, you know, like, my bar was obviously lowered after I was already like, oh, well, that happened. Cool. All <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, but I mean, that... That absolutely makes sense. But how do you feel about, like, do you have those times where you'll watch, let's say, a movie that you're really excited for the first time or read a book that you're really excited for the first time um, and be let down by it at first and then go back in and watch it again with different expectations and kind of your opinion has changed of it? Totally. Yeah. Like, all the time. Um, and sometimes I find that certain books and movies and TV shows, they get marketed the wrong way. Um, and this is more, I guess, movies and TV. But you'll see a trailer and there'll be something that's billed as a comedy or a horror. And, like, the comedy turns out to be this, like, dark drama. And the horror turns out to be um, more of a mystery thriller. Or, you know, and there's these things, like, you go into that movie expecting to see horror you know like to be scared to be on the edge of your seat um and to you know have jumps and when you're just kind of like oh this is like a crime drama this is like a really long episode of law and order oh like it might be really good it might be a really good long episode of law and order but it's not horror which is what you went in to watch in the first place mm -hmm. um so just because of how the marketing um, was laid out before you, you're going to automatically be, be disappointed. But when you step away from it and watch later, um, you know, maybe it turns out to be really good. Uh, like, an example of this, and I know this is specific to more movies than comics at the moment, but um, when I was doing movie reviews for a long time, I had to review Our Idiot Brother, which I was really excited to see at the time. And... It was obviously billed as a comedy, and it is a comedy, but it's definitely more drama with, like, little funny bits, because I don't think that Paul Rudd can be in a movie without cracking jokes. Um, but it wasn't, like, knocked up or um, anything like that. It was definitely more a family drama centered around people that are kind of funny by accident. Um, and I didn't like it because I expected to be laughing the whole way through. But then when I watched it again later, I enjoyed it because I knew what to expect. Right. Yeah. Mm. 
Absolutely. And it's one of those things where people say like that, because we, we're always talking about spoilers and stuff like that. That's a lot of times spoilers enhance enjoyment of people's watching the first time because now they don't have false expectations going into what they're, what they're going to watch, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had those same issues for, for a lot of things. Um, that's a really good example. Uh, Bob, what about you? Well, I've often, we're talking movies. When I saw Ghostbusters the first time, I anticipated a slob comedy, you know, another Caddyshack or something. And when it wasn't that, when it was a slightly more serious horror thriller slash comedy, lots of slashes in that, seeing it a second time, I'm in love with the movie now, have been now for 30 odd years. Mm But when you go into something with lower expectations, as I think a lot of us did with Squirrel Girl, for instance, as Stephanie mentioned, that gives you a certain glee as opposed to a confirming nod that, oh, yeah, this was supposed to be good and it is. No, this was supposed to be a throwaway and it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the thrill you get from that is, is very special. And it's, it's hard to describe. So the then reverse of that when you go into something like spider gwen with huge expectations and they're not met even if it is good the letdown is is really painful mm-hmm. it shouldn't be it's still just media next issue because it's serialized fiction next issue could be great and we'll be saying something different but we all i think all wanted something more out of this and those movies that let you down those books that let you down, the television shows that are supposed to be the next big thing that aren't quite, they're the same old thing in a new package. Bleh. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Steve, what about you? Um, as far as like raising um, like the bar, like my personal well, expectations bar versus, you know, reality. Like how much do you feel like when you watch something, your expectations play into your enjoyment of it the first time? Well, uh, I'd say quite a bit because, I mean, me personally, and I, I could be wrong because you, you can't always see yourself for what you actually are, but um, I don't really put a bar on too many things that that pass by me. But when it does happen, when something does hit for me and I do have just a bar for it, that bar is usually very, very, very high. Um, and the reason why that is very high is because of how much I, I, I like am already invested, how much I care, uh, how much I want it to be a success, uh, selfishly, how much I want other people to be able to enjoy something to the level that I do, even though it's all personal stuff. Um, a situation actually came along, um, on the talking games podcast. I believe it was last week where the creators of toe jam and Earl have announced that they're making a sequel. And when we were talking about it, I was really, I was really hard on it. Like everybody was like, you know, oh my god, blah, 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 blah. and excitement, yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. But trepidation first. Um, and I got, I got called out on it, and it's like, you know, why do you hate, you know, great things? And I said, I don't hate great things. I said, you know, this is one of my favorite. Toe Jam and Earl is one of my favorite games of all time, and now you're telling me that the original creators of it are making another one, and my first glimpse of it, I wasn't all that impressed. I want this game to be amazing so badly that I can't even like put it into words for you. So when you come along with something like Spider Gwen or something with like anticipation and stuff, it colors it colors a lot. 
um, of how much I of what I want it to be versus what it actually is. Um, but luckily, I'm also the type of person where I can kind of sift through things a little bit after my first experience and kind of take a step back. Um, I'm notorious for putting my foot in my mouth uh, with things. Certainly some things that have come up on this show where I've spoken negatively about something or criticized something. And then later on in the run or upon a second reading or having a, a discussion with somebody or a conversation where I see that book differently and appreciate it differently. It's, it happens all the time. Like when, when we all talk about our books of the week and I had read something the same as, as Bobby did or the same as Bob did and I didn't care for it much. And then, you know, Stephanie or one of you guys speaks very highly of it and I get to see your perspective. I'm very susceptible as, as a person to value what other people say and see in those things and kind of augment my opinion uh, upon like a, another look. And I appreciate the multiple perspectives, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so in regard to, to, to hype and all that stuff, yeah, I mean, I, I, I care a lot. You know, I, I, I want Spider-Gwen to be an incredible book because I, I think she's a, she's a fresh and, and fun character. And it's like the same thing with Spider-Woman that I was talking about earlier, where, you know, getting thrown into the Spider-Verse event and people looking to, they love that character and they're looking to jump on her new solo book. And finally, we've got another, you know, Spider-Woman comic and you're stuck reading this pirate adventure that you might not necessarily care about because it's part of something that you're not reading but then at the halfway mark of issue four, bam, it completely turns into a different book. And it's, it's those things that you love about that character that Kelly Sue has written, her, her banter and the way she gets along with other characters and her taking charge of her life and stuff like that and breaking out and doing a new thing. I, I want people to be there for that and to get excited for that stuff. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think you can't help it, right? It's human nature to let those things play into your your thoughts about it. I know that. Oh yeah. When I went to see, um, even though I, I the first two movies aren't that great, when I went to see Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban uh, for the first oh, time, th- that oh. was my favorite book in the series at the time. And so I was I heard so amazing things about it. Corona is like an amazing um, director, obviously. And and when I went to see it, it was so different than the book that I was disappointed by it. I was let down. Um, I felt mm-hmm. myself feeling cold towards it. Um, and then, but then when I went back and rewatched it with, with, you know, the, the mind frame of, I know what this movie is now. I know what it's going to show me. Let's go back in and see, cause I saw every Harry Potter movie like four times or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, no matter if I like them or not. So I went, I went to see it again. And when I saw it the second time, I absolutely loved it. You know, Azkaban is my favorite one. It's an amazing movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's an amazing movie separate mm-hmm. of being a Harry Potter movie, you know, and it, but it took me seeing it twice to be able to do that um mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> even uh, you know i remember when i first saw the two towers the second lord of the rings movie i wasn't disappointed by it. i didn't dislike it but i remember walking out feeling like not the same feeling i left feeling fellowship and then i saw it again because i saw again i saw those movies like five times each in the movie theater um mm-hmm. and when i saw it again i was like i was appreciating every little scene you know because yeah. i knew what, what was gonna come and what to expect and mm-hmm. so i'm the same way you know i think with spider gwen and silk they're very analogous in the same situation, like we said, because I read Silk going like, okay, like with no expectations at all. Like, right. Like this is a book that 
I like what the way the art looks and the character, I, what I've read of her so far in the Spider-Man books, it's kind of cool, but I expect this to be, I'm reading this once, going to talk about it in the podcast, and then I'll never read it again. That's what I expected. Yeah. And then I read it, I mean, and I loved it. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I'd been following the the Silk character in, um, you know, all the other Spider books and stuff like that, and I had, like, you want to talk about bars, like, I didn't have a bar for that <laughs> for that book at all. I was just hopeful that it would give that character room to breathe and and breaking away from being under the shadow of Peter Parker and maybe do her own thing. I thought the whole being trapped in the 90s was was kind of fun and stuff like that. With Spider-Gwen, you know, I read it the first time and was like, Ugh. and then I reread Edge of Spider-Verse and then I read it again and was like, oh, okay, so so this is what we're doing. But as a as talking about the book as a number one and as a reviewer of stuff on the podcast, it wasn't like a solid introductory first issue but read in conjunction with the other book it totally makes sense and i appreciated it much more. yeah i mean i definitely appreciated it but again like i had such high expectations you know i yeah. was like this is, and there and it's something it's unfair right i'm like this is going to be like another ms marvel um or another batgirl 36 or whatever you know and or 35 mm-hmm. whatever the issue was and it, it wasn't that for me um and so the expectations play a big part in all of that stuff and, and i think that we can't help it, but I think, and again, this is it's so funny. We talk about this stuff, the way we're talking about stuff and, and, and breaking down stuff. No normal human being really has to talk about stuff like this. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is only because we talk about this stuff all the time and we're trying to give you guys as much buying advice as, po- as possible um, to make sure you spend your money wisely and your time wisely. Um, and, and so we get into these like long conversations about expectations versus delivery um, where people, more, more people just say, Oh, I didn't like it or I liked it. We have to spend right. two hours talking about why. Well, this is the, this is the part where people actually give a shit about our opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. a b- still a bizarre thing to me. Um, it is. So let's read. What did people think about? That's what we're, Bob. That's an awesome segue. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Uh, swish. <laughs> um, so these people wrote in on Twitter using the hashtag TCBOTW. Um, this is at, at this John D says, I went in wanting to love it, but walked away just liking it. It wasn't as new reader friendly as it could have been. Um, at Matt underscore McNabb says, fun story, great art. I'd say it was nowhere as great and groundbreaking as their first appearance, but still good. Um, at uh, um, this is, uh, stim, stimuli, stimuli file. Ha ha, stimuli file. Um, I, I'm relatively new to comics, never read Spider-Man. I love Latour's work on Southern Bastards, but this book was confusing, like Silk, way better. Um, he, this same person also said, that we're his favorite comic book podcast. Also, it's refreshing to have a female point of view from at Hello Cookie. So nice, yeah. Um, um, this is uh from at man. These are these Twitter names are killing me right now. At uh, uh, ten chicken Royku Royoku. Um, Spider Gwen number one was pretty good, even though I didn't understand what the hell was going on. Art is pretty though. Um. Amy Devine, who's at Good Evening, said, This issue was a little forgettable. I I thought that I liked it until I realized that I could not remember the plot. Um, She said, I love the art and the concept is fun. So I I think that it's it's an important book to support, but it's no silk number one. Um, At Kinky Comic Girl says, I would have liked it more if it didn't spin out of Spider-Verse, which I did did read. Just not a strong start, in my opinion. Um, At Katie616 says, Spider-Gwen number one was good, but didn't work as a number one issue. And, and, ha- and 
And to have to read Edge of Spider-Verse number two, which is fine in my opinion, but worry about people that didn't know. I have to say I liked Silk number one better than Spider-Gwen number one, but both great and are added to my pull list. Uh, Maria Norris says, I really loved it. I thought it fizzed with energy and promise. Not perfect, but I wasn't disappointed at all. I haven't read really read Spider-Verse, but I read Edge of Spider-Verse number two right before Spider-Gwen Spider number one, so that may have played a role. So I do understand why people were a bit confused, but I still loved it, and I think it's worth sticking with. So uh, thank you guys very much um, for, for writing in and, and giving us your, your thoughts on Spider-Gwen number one. Um, Stephanie, you are picking the book for next week. It's your turn to pick. I know. I, we were just having this discussion. Yeah, I texted you to make sure, texted to make sure she remembered. <laughs> That it was her pick. And but like, there's so many good things coming out next week. <laughs> this week, today. Today. Yeah. Um, Bobby. Yes. Uh, so let's, let's talk torn. it out, Stephanie. Let's talk it out. Okay. Okay. So originally I sent Bobby like five things. <laughs> I was like, Black Cross, Big Man Plans, <laughs> Princess Leia, Hawkeye, Descender. <laughs> Um, and I've narrowed it down to either Hawkeye or Descender. Mm. Um, I will be going to the Silver Snail launch party for Hawkeye number one with Ramon Perez <laughs> and Jeff Lemire. So I'm tempted to talk to them and bring that insight to a discussion next week. But, I mean, Descender looks really cool. Also by Jeff Lemire. Mm. So, I mean, like. It's Lemire you know. week. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, Descender, Hawkeye, I think, okay, as much as I want to talk about Descender, I know that's going to end up on someone's book of the week anyways, I predict. <laughs> um, I'm thinking Hawkeye, given our love for the previous run by Fraction and Aja, would make for a much more interesting discussion. All right. Amongst all of us. I like it. All new Hawkeye number one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeff Lemire and Ramon Perez, as you said, Stephanie. I mean, I know Descender's going to be on someone's list anyways. Mm -hmm. So that's it's not like we're going to be like, well, this little indie book's never going to get talked about. <laughs> it will definitely get talked about in some fashion. It, it shall. Yes. So that is my, that's my reasoning. Cool. Now, I'm excited. Um, Stephanie, you mentioned some other titles. What other, what other stuff are you excited for this week? Oh, gosh. Um, well... There is, I, I've been kind of wanting to read The Goon, uh, Eric Powell, but there's like a ton of it. And there's a first issue um, of one of his new comics called Big Man Plans. Stoked to check that out. I mean, also Princess Leia by Mark Wade, uh, Black Cross, Warren Ellis. Um, there's like a lot of really cool things coming out this week. Spider Woman number five. So I can finally read it and enjoy it potentially there's yeah some good stuff there's all the things bob what are you looking forward to <laughs> well you heard me talk about lady killer number three is this week but also g willow wilson's x-men 25 oh yeah uh, we have peggy carter's operation sin number three this week oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <sighs> and well harley quinn goes insane i don't know how that's possible <laughs> but she does more insane. And another of the John Byrne Star Trek photo novels. Oh, the the new Rat Queens comes out tomorrow. It's true. With <laughs> Bob said it perfectly last time. Yeah, Bob, say the name. Stapon Shade. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everyone needs to check that. Yeah, it's out. super I... exciting. I'm really excited to get back to that series. 
Um, mm. I loved the one shot. Tess Fowler was the artist on that one, right? Yeah, yeah. Braga. Yeah, the Braga issue was awesome. Like, she's like, um, um, I, I don't know. Is she transvestite? Is that like, or is I think she not- she's just, she's just a dwarf or something. Then they have beards. No, but she was, a uh, Braga was a dude, right? Like the, they were telling us the story of, um, how he came to be Braga. I'm not sure. Like, that's what confused me about it. Cause I felt like it was just saying that all, all races and all genders have beards when you're a dwarf. That's what I felt like <laughs> to me. But was he a dwarf or like an orc? An orc or something. But I feel like whatever race that she was a member of, like they all had beards. That's what I felt but like. he didn't initially yeah. have like boobs. I, again, I, I, again I, 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 I didn't get that from it. This I'm, conversation has <laughs> taken a weird turn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying what I took from it. I'm just talking. I'm just talking it out. Yeah, yeah. Like I enjoyed that issue. It was actually on my um, lightning round list, but I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I don't usually make notes, so sometimes I don't get to think. <laughs> I'm definitely aware of this. Shut up. <laughs> um, but Braga was really good. Tess Fowler did a really great job with that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited to see the series get back on its feet again. Obviously, um, all the controversy that surrounded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's going to be monthly yeah, again. Yeah, it's going to be monthly again, which is really nice. Um, definitely has been a hole in my pull list with that not being there for, for the past mm. couple of months. Um, Steve, what are you excited for that's coming out this week? Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> Another issue of Amazing World of Gumball is coming out. Uh, that is one of those comics that just puts a huge smile on my face every time it comes out. I'm confused, though. I don't know that 8 might be the last one for a while, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Ed Brisson's Cluster Number 2 comes out. Super excited about that. Uh, that was off to a really great start. Uh, Descender number one, all new Hawkeye number one, Spider Woman number five. Uh, I'm actually going to check out Princess Leia number one. And there's another book uh, coming out from Boom Studios called Halogen number one. And uh, it says here in previews. Uh, having first collaborated on the Eisner Award-nominated Sparrow series, the creative team behind Halogen is no stranger to kick-butt ladies, epic world-building, and sweeping adventures. This time, they're strapping on their sci-fi boots for a series perfect for fans of Prophet, Rocket Girl, and The Fifth Element. So, those are all words. Yeah, those are all words that I feel enthusiastic about. So, I'm I'm definitely going to pick this up and thumb through. It's one of four, so it'll be uh, hopefully short and sweet. Cool. I, yeah. I am super excited about Descender, obviously. Uh, Jeff Lemire mm-hmm. Creator own stuff. Interesting that he's not drawing it. It's Dustin Wynn who's drawing it, uh, which uh, his art is just unbelievably gorgeous. So I'm really excited about that. Already got an option for a movie, I think. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't even come out yet. Um, Bob, I'm going to go a little old school on you here. There's sure. a Transformers book coming out this week. What do you think it's called? I, you mean in the regular series or this is one of these Regular crazy series. Ones? More than meets the eye. You are correct. Yes! (laughs) Wow. Hot damn. (laughs) 50-50 shot. That's all that was. Yeah, I mean, Princess Leia, I I think could be cool. I think it's it's a miniseries. Terry Dotson doing the art, uh, which is obviously exciting. Uh, Mark Wade Mm -hmm. uh, writing it. You know, I've I've enjoyed all all, both of the Star Wars series that have come out so far. So I I think they've been doing a a good good thing with those things with those with those books. So. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And I am going to pick up Spider Woman number five. Uh, We've mentioned a couple times on the show. Uh, you know, I, I I love the costume redesign. Um, I love that they're bringing her down back to street level stuff again. Um, I love Javier Rodriguez's art 
So I am really excited to see what, what, what can happen with that series now that it's, it's, I'm considering this almost like, you know, like the Silk, Spider-Gwen, this, these are all like number one issues to me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, maybe it'll let me down, but I, you know, I, I have faith that, that they're going to be able to do something pretty special with that character. If you get the chance to, to, like I said, to check out the, the second half of number four, like just to give you a taste of of it being like back to form, I, th- I think it'll get you excited for for the new issue. When I look at when I look at Greg Land art, my eyes like glaze over. <laughs> oh, I understand. So, I, I but here's the thing: if you were enjoying Kelly Sue's Avengers Assemble and the yeah. Carol Jessica banter back and forth, it's that's, right in that pocket. That's for did Bob? Did you read it? Yes, loved it. Oh, you did. Okay, great. Yeah, good. I was hoping that you read it. Back where you were away, I believe. Nice. Yeah, um, really, really, really enjoyed it. And. uh Nameless number two comes out, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being confused more, <laughs> um, or maybe slightly less. No, we're not. We're not. We're not at the inflection point yet, where we start going the other way. We're definitely still on the the, the rise up in confusion. Um, and Saga number tw- twenty six, yeah, twenty six comes out. So that is always going to be top of the pull um, for reading that. But yeah, it's a great. It's a great week. Um, great, great week for books. Um, mm. we have plenty to talk about next week on the talking comics podcast um so if you guys uh, want to get in touch with us to talk to us about that kind of stuff it's at talking comics on twitter it's uh, facebook.com slash talking comics or talking is the website um please make sure to go on there comment on the articles uh join our forums and talk with us there um and if you want to get in on the book of the week discussion about all new hawkeye number one please tweet at us with the hashtag tcbo TW. Um, we are going to be uh, comics and coffee is continuing this week. Uh, a little bit different though. I'm going um, going to be going up to Hartford and then to Boston to see my friend Brian uh, who does talking movies. And we're driving up to Boston on Friday morning, so we're going to attempt to live stream our car ride. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, so we'll see. How, Good luck with we'll that. see how that goes. Uh, but punch buggy. Yeah, you will be getting a little bit of a comics, a different comics and coffee, th- th- this this week. Um, but if you're coming to talkingcombooks.com, you can also get all of our awesome uh, family of podcasts. Um, we have Talking Valley with Adam Shaw. We've got Talking Movies with the aforementioned Brian Verderosa and Nick Scalia. They just are wrapping up their Wachowskis um, kind of class with a speed racer this week which will be out later oh, cool. this week um oh, they, yeah, they did uh jupiter ascending and bound before this so make sure you check i know that jupiter ascending is going to be so bad and yet i still want to see it <laughs> so badly the panel was split on, on that uh, on their episode of, of talking movies um the- i see so many things about it on tumblr and like it makes zero sense to me because i've not seen the movie yeah. but everything i see Makes me want to see it more. Here's the thing: I really love the Wachowski brothers, or the Wachowski siblings. I'm sorry, um, um, and uh, I, I, I just whatever when they do stuff, even if it's crazy and bad, it's always really original. <laughs> so I want to entertaining and very entertaining. Yes, um, uh, Stephanie, obviously the Misfits: Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood. Stephanie, what do you what do you guys talk about this week? We talked about the Star Wars prequels. Oh. Yep. And here's the kicker. You would think we did a really positive roundtable on them. Like we discussed, instead of just bashing them, um, we discussed with Amy Ratcliffe, who um, she writes for StarWars.com and Nerdist and a bunch of other places. Um, we discussed what good things they actually brought to the table. 
and actually had a really, really, really good talk. Um, I was impressed. We didn't mention Jar Jar once. <laughs> it was seriously a miraculous feat. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. And what are you guys doing next week? Next week, Melissa and I won't be on the show. Um, Mara is running things because the topic she chose is magical girls. So it's like anime, manga, uh, like Sailor Moon, card captors, that sort of thing. Uh, and that is basically Mara's entire existence. <laughs> um, so she's picking, uh, air quotes, panelists for that, misfits for that, and uh, running the show. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and we, of course, we have Talking Games with Steve Say, Justin Townsend, yeah. Jackie Turner, and Rob Newmeyer. What's up for you guys this week? Uh, I am hosting the show this week, and this week is actually our 50th episode extravaganza. Oh, nice. Dun um, We are going to be giving ourselves, we're going to be self-appointing ourselves gaming goals for the year of 2015. Things that we think we need to change, things we think we can do better, uh, things we've never done before, and we're gonna gonna kind of be putting the pressure on ourselves to deliver on those promises throughout the year. And we'll also be giving away a uh, Ike Amiibo. It's been part of our uh, Twitter contest that we've been running, and um, just talking about a lot of new games that are coming out in March, as well as uh, Rob and Justin will be kind of giving everybody uh, a crash course on what they're excited for when they leave for PAX on, um, I believe, Thursday. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. I yeah. need to call a timeout. I I just heard two words together. I have no clue what he said. <laughs> I knew who Ike was. He was the president. I know what an amoeba is. It's a one-celled organism. <laughs> what is an Ike amoeba? Amiibos are um, Nintendo brand figures that actually come equipped with, a, with an electronic disc that inside of that disc you can then take that figurine or character and scan it, and that character will then enter um, select video games from the wow. Nintendo brand, and you can kind of train them and grow them and, and bring them to your friend's house and load them onto their systems so that you can battle each other's uh, Amiibo figurines. That's they're actually crazy. they're actually quite cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. Very very quickly, because I think Bob was talking about this last week. Those Captain Marvel figures. Oh, did you get one? Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> She's in my room, watching over things. It's cool. Making sure that shit gets done. <laughs> She's not doing a good job because I spent the day on Tumblr. But you know. <laughs> Are you looking for one, Bob? No, Bob I have one. one. It's stand- oh, you it's do have standing one. standing on top of my DVD rack next to the crocheted one that Kelly Heron did for me and the chess figurine. Awesome. She's yeah. awesome. I'm so excited to do Heroes Con this year because I got to hang out with Kelly. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, if you- Actually, I think Sammy's there too. Sammy Cassell Oh, yeah, definitely. And- he lives down yep. there. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, um, oh, and just a little uh, talking comics announcement for um, for those that miss it. Uh, we are in the process of uh, rekindling and bringing back the Talking Comics uh, book club. So look for an announcement for that in the coming weeks. Cool. Awesome. If you guys want to get in touch with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? Uh, my Twitter handle is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. And Bob, your email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And uh, Bob, I know you want to say uh, a, little, a few words about someone who passed this week. Yes, uh, we'll be speaking in a little more depth on our Patreon coming up soon. 
But Leonard Nimoy passed away over the weekend and certainly most famous for playing Mr. Spock and so much more than that as a writer of, of poetry and, and prose, director, photographer of, of some note, paid, uh, complete patron of the arts. And it was very easy to get into Star Trek and see all the spaceships and phasers and all the rest of it and the, the bold action sequences. But for those of us who grew up in, in the 60s or even after saw the shows in reruns and syndication, for those of us of the shy and bookish nature, those who were somewhat more introspective, withdrawn, a character that he created that spoke to intelligence and the dignity of that intelligence just meant so much to so many of us. So to, to that life that he led so well, and to those of us who were touched by it, uh, we just want to celebrate Mr. Leonard Nimoy and his career and live long and prosper. Awesome, Bob. Thank you. And if you guys are Patreon subscribers, in the, probably tomorrow you'll hear Bob's elongated words about, about Mr. Leonard Nimoy. Um, so that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Good to be back. Stephanie. Bye. And Bob. Good night. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.